All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another QLS classic. Uh, this particular episode was shot right after Solange Knowles released her breakthrough, A Seat at the Table album. Um, you know, kind of her arrival moment in her history. She would later go on and win uh, Grammys for this album, but um, she basically talks about coming to her own as an adult, as a mother, as a creative, as an artist. And I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. QLS Classic with Solange Knowles, coming up. I'm not going to mess this up. Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Questlove. Yeah. You got the message? Yeah. I'm pretty sure like you. Yeah. yeah. Gonna say. Bitch, you guessed it. <laughs> Suprema. <laughs> Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. I am not bitter. Yeah. Thank God it's real life. Yeah. And we not on Twitter. <laughs> Suprema roll call. Who's next? Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. Hello, Solange. Yeah. Let's eat some butter cookies. Yeah. And smoke some gum. Roll call. Suprema. Who's next? Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. I'm on pay bill. Yeah. Ain't that legit? Yeah. Back with. Questlove Supreme. Yeah. Ain't that some shit? Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. My name's Laia. Yeah. My day is made. Yeah. Cause Solange is here. Yeah. Won't be no shade. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Boss Bill is here. Yeah. An electric lady. Yeah. Solange's new album. Yeah. Is fucking crazy. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. 
I'm like, what is he going around with message? I, I thought of it like you used the five crayons minutes on the record and everything. <laughs> that was some shit. Damn. Five, five minutes before I, I thought of it. Yo, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Quest Love Supreme on Pandora. Uh, we're broadcasting from the legendary Studio A at Electric Lady Studios in New York. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Questlove, and we have an incredible show for you today. Our guest is an amazing singer. She's an amazing songwriter, dancer, choreographer, and uh, so much more. She recently released her critically acclaimed new album called A Seat at the Table. Uh, in my opinion, it's one of the best albums of 2016. Uh, Solange Knowles is on the show today, y'all, and uh, we'll bring her on shortly. But before we do, let's check in uh, with Team Supreme. Yes. This is Questlove, Team Supreme. What's yes, up, guys? Yeah. What's up? Hey. Uh, Fonte, you've been on the road, have you not? I have been on the road. Uh, my band, The Foreign Exchange, we performed. Uh, we did a, a West Coast run, so we in did. a black and white vans. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I, and I segregated vans. Okay, because um, <laughs> I am that. from North Carolina. Wait, do y'all ask for a black and white van? When when well, well, when we rent the van, well, well, we actually own a white van. Like we have a, a van that we own. So y'all drove to the West Coast? No, no, no. We didn't. We didn't this time. <laughs> nah, we nah. I'm not. I'm not that adventurous. Okay. But so we actually own a white van. So when we go out, like really, it's the members, the black members are in one van, and the white members are in the other van. But we come together on stage and make music. <laughs> okay, but, wait, <laughs> wait. Dude, is there a difference besides melanin <laughs> and lack so of melanin? Far. Man, like, is it a weed van, not a weed no, van? No, straight up. Let's talk about it. There is a weed I van. I have ADD, though. And surprisingly, it is the, it's the white van. It's, it's the white van is the weed van. And the oh, black yeah. van. is the conservative van. Yeah, we're pretty conservative. But y'all still get chill. pulled over more. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, that's no bullshit. We've been pulled over, like, I, mean, I got pulled over on 94 on our way to Detroit. Uh, dude made us... Trooper made us get out the car. Watch me get down like, and just do, do my thing, baby. baby. Watch me get down and just okay. do my thing, Excuse me, baby. Right now, you are witnessing a reference to a Five Heartbeats movie. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it was right. Five Heartbeats meets Slum, Slum Village. Village. Slum right. But you were right. You were okay. right. But uh, but nah, man. We toured. Uh, tours dope. I'm glad it's over. Um, you know, because I really don't like touring. But you uh, don't. But you're, don't you're touring all the time. Why not? I know. Just I just bills pay. Cause like fuck that shit. Touring, man. Like here's the thing with me with with touring. Like I mean, it's a necessary evil, right? You gotta go get your money. And the time while I'm actually on stage, I do enjoy. You know what I'm saying? I do enjoy performing. You know, the interplay with the band. I do enjoy that. But everything leading up to that and after that, I fucking hate. What? What is touring? What are the perils of touring? Okay, well the peril, the perils of touring are just pretty much it disrupts your pattern. So whatever it is that you're trying to do in your life to be better, whether if you're trying to eat better, you're trying to exercise, 
You trying to stay off these hoes. Whatever it is you trying to do, you trying to stay off cocaine, you trying to leave drugs alone, you trying to stop drinking. Whatever it is that you're trying to do, the road is like the last place you want to try to do it. So when I'm at home, my routine is very simple. Wake up, you know, hit the gym, you know, work a little something around the house, go pick up my boys from school, homework, dinner. I right, go to bed, whatever. No hoes. Play some doom. You know what I mean? Not a hoe to be found. That's <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This, the only hoe we find is in, the, is in the garage. So, But when you go on the road, it just disrupts everything. So, like, your eating goes to shit. You know what I'm saying? You're up crazy hours, and then you perform. And after you perform, I mean, that's essentially energy that you've absorbed from all these people. So now you can't fucking go to sleep. So now you got to figure out, okay, Hose. how do I get to sleep? So, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So, you know, I never like I never like touring. I just don't I like just a real simple life and so my goal is to get enough money to where I ain't got to do it no more. Man. But I bet the road is good for someone who's in their whole face. Now, listen, <laughs> let me tell you something. That's why I feel like next door, you and me, Fate, I'm coming with man, you. Man, let me tell you one goddamn thing, Bill Sherman. Yeah. You come out here I, on your whole face? <laughs> man, listen, bro. Yeah. Man. Oh, my God. I'm listening. Don't do it, Bill. You're going to need to sing and rap, though. Don't do it, Bill. No, he don't. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I he can play it. in the band. You go he, on no, the road, you, you want to take a Just, just let take Bill run the sound or something. Yeah, he can look. Yo, like, Entourage is one of the realest, I mean, that show. Was yeah, it's kind of candy ass as it was, but it was real in the sense right. that it showed how the guy didn't really get to have the fun. Yeah, but all the guys around His the guys, right? They got to live it up. The it's, star, the the person who's in the epicenter, never has the fun. Never, Matt. Well, okay, R- referring back to uh our our Alan Weed show, mm-hmm. like Brown Mark of the Revolution used to always get fined more for like one minute late, two minute late, simply because like he had the freedom to really clean and rack up in the bars and in the hotel lobby. Mm-hmm. Cause he was known as the guy from the revolution, but it wasn't like chaos and mayhem. He wasn't the guy. Prince, on the other hand, would cause chaos and mayhem everywhere he went. So he was basically a prisoner in his hotel because he couldn't go nowhere. Couldn't go nowhere. Yeah. He did all that work for nothing. Yeah, man. So yeah, so yeah. So, so the you road, Prince? I generally hate it. I'm not Prince, I, but but I mean, but really, like, after a show, I don't. Like, or maybe really Morris. Yeah. Maybe I'm Morris. I'm, I'm more Morris than Prince. Okay. But, but uh, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful for the work. You know what I'm saying? I'm thankful for the. You check. Bring so much joy to the people. No, when I'm on stage, I love it. Yeah. And the minute it ends, have I'm you just, seen like, Vontae perform? Like, yeah, she came. She was. A, she came. came Aaron to Angie. Oh yeah. Came to the LA show. She, right? He was dancing, oh, Lord. getting it in. Oh, oh yeah. Lord, exactly. With a T. And plus, I've been coming to Fonte shows. I'm, I'm like a fan. I'm not as much as your shows. Don't get it twisted, because he's a little. Younger. I don't perform as much. But yeah. God damn, the old jokes keep coming. <laughs> <I'm just joking>. <laughs> <laughs> he missed it, Fonte. You ain't have to say. Nah, that. I caught. I was. That was hard. But uh, <laughs> but. but but nah, man. I'm yo. I'm I'm good. I'm happy. I've been playing well, a lot I'm of Doom on Xbox, home. so I'm good. All good. Let's get to our special guest right now. Um, hey, surprises abound. Actually, this is not a surprise, though, because I guess back in 2014, uh, I kind of made a, a, a cry to the internet for artists to really start making music relevant to the times we live in. And somehow the, the, the gods have heard my cry. And I knew that something was coming up the pike from our special guest, but I didn't know the 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 magnitude, the, the levels of, levels of, of, of deepness uh, that was going to come with it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome 
to Questlove Supreme, Solange Knowles. Yes, sir. That's hunting. Thank you. How are you, Solange? I'm doing really, really well. She's hungover. She already said she's hungover. <laughs> <laughs> what was you drinking on? What, what was you drinking on last night? Tequila and red wine. Mm. Oh wow, tough combo. Lethal party and chill at the same time. I know. What you know what? Tito's. Tito's. Uh, not Tito's. I think it That's was vodka. like some. Marlon, you are such not a drinker. You are so not a drinker. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was tequila. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm learning too. What's Tito's? Yeah. Tito's oh, is vodka. It's vodka. Yeah. Yo, I wish people would stop. Like, oh, like yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm still drinking from Wah. Yeah, if that Frambois is like <laughs> Frambois is like night train to me. That's like a hard drink. Now what is Frambois? What is what is that? Lambic Frambois. Oh yeah. Tariq rhymed that, that on that, that Ain't is... Say Nothing New. Okay. It's a, a Belgian beer, but it really mm. tastes like uh Welch's grape juice. Ah uh, the best. With uh, a little bit of like non alcoholic near beer in it. And like. I take it they only sell this in neighborhoods where you'll find hot Cheeto wrappers on the <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not true. This is really? not true. No, no, no. this is a is a high-ended beer. I guess it's been like five weeks without drinking um, just in preparation for my Saturday Night Live performance. Mm. So I had a little catching up to do. Hey, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you... Uh, Still agree to to come. Oh and, man, I'm honored to be here with all of you guys. Thanks for having me. And, and Laia thanks you too. For coming. Oh, you see me? I'm playing. I'm playing cool. What you talking about? <laughs> She's awesome. It's nothing. Solange just here. It's awesome. It's She wore Yo, that special sweater for tonight. Too. I did. I'm wearing a a, bas- a basketball um, sweatshirt from um I forget the little Asian. Stuff. Uniqlo. Yes, Uniqlo. Great sweatshirt, yeah. too. By the way, congratulations on your Saturday Night Live performance. Oh, yeah. That Thank joint you was so dope. much. Yes. Thank you. Were Thank you nervous you. about it? I was it? beyond nervous. Why were you nervous? You know what? I think through, because... through the process of making the album, it was such an insular experience in some ways that it felt so mine mm-hmm. and so personal. And to have that platform and... And that be offered to me was just such an honor. I was so honored and humble. Of course, you don't say no to that. But for your first time delivering these songs to be on such a huge platform um, and almost like the safety net in the space that I've created throughout making this album and releasing it, that was the moment where it was like, okay, this is outside of that safety net. Out of your comfort zone. Yeah. But, but I would think you've been performing all of your life. Yeah. That by some point you would just be numb to the experience of like, oh, this ain't nothing. This is just another. No, actually. Everyone's have... not you, Amir. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. No, 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 no. I've seen you singing at the age of seven on videotape yeah. and all that stuff. I, that's the thing. I'm shocked that you still get nervous about performance. You know, I actually. About three years ago, um, I suffered from my first bout of stage fright. I had a show, and it just came out of nowhere. Um, And it's really, really something that I've been trying to work through. It's it's fairly new. Like you said, I have been performing for a really long time. So, um, yeah, I was working through a lot of stuff before that performance. And again... um, just sharing it 
in, in such a big space. Because after I put out the record, I actually went to Mexico, mm. as you know, for 10 days, like the day after I put the record out. So I didn't have a lot of the outside noise, you know, in that experience. I was able to just shut my brain off and really just live in the moment of releasing and sharing such a big part of myself with the world. And so as soon as I came back, it was time to prepare for Saturday Night Live. So I really didn't have that time to transition into that that headspace in the way that I maybe would have liked it. From the time they say, hey, we want you to do it to the time you're on stage, how much time is that to prep? I had three weeks. Okay. Um, about a week of that time was uh, putting together a band. Um, I wanted to put together a new band, a New Orleans-based band. Um, and then I actually choreographed the entire show as well, the band's choreography, my choreography. So I spent a week on that. Um, and then, yeah, a, a solid week of rehearsals. So not a whole lot of time for such a big platform, but... And that was your first time ever performing those songs live? Ever. Wow. So yeah. wait, are you... Are you saying that you essentially finished the record, mm-hmm. mastered, sequenced it, whatever, released it mm-hmm. as in a Hail Mary throw, and then you just fled the country kind of <laughs> with your, your, your fingers over your ears and your eyes closed and like, okay, let's see what's going to happen. Like, <laughs> kind of, yeah. And you did it just to protect yourself from either what you view the criticism of it or the not knowing what the response would be? No, I think I did it as a personal retreat for myself. I worked on the album over a three-year course of time. And, you know, it was at times a very taxing experience emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And the two weeks leading up to releasing the album were some of the most challenging days that I've ever had in my life. Um, I had a lot of issues with clearances and mastering and, you know, all of the stuff that comes at the very end of putting an album. I almost lost my album date. There was just a lot of internal stuff that was happening. Um, And I think towards the end, I kind of lost a little context because everything was moving so rapidly. Right. But I always knew that for my sanity, that when I released the record, I needed to just have some quiet, reflective time. You you told me at the very beginning of the recording process of the record, back when you just had demos, Mm -hmm. that you were going to make the quote, the statement, the quintessential, you know, what you felt, what you've been dying to express. Mm -hmm. Um which I know for you, that had to be a challenge mm-hmm. because, I mean, I can imagine based on, and I've, I've been on, uh, where I read your, that sounds stalky, like I, I'm always on your, your website. Oh, cut it out of <laughs> really, really, really <laughs> On the website, it's, that's not stalker, that's not too stalky. I know, I'm like, but he's also acting like we don't talk. No, like, no, that's the thing, like, <laughs> that's but that's the thing, like, you seek out we, information. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm sure, like, we're we're genuinely friends, but 
our friendship really hasn't been on the musical worship side of things. Like, yeah, we rarely talk about each other's projects. Or yeah, I mean, you might Very mention true. food or some shit, you know, and but just in general, um, yeah, we built that friendship off of a genuine right. friendship connection. I know that um, there was there was one entry on your site that really had me curious, and I wanted to call you about it, um, but I forgot to. And that was the, I guess we can call it the, the craft work incident. Yeah. And the thing was, I, I understood, I guess what I got from it was that it's really hard for you to make people understand that you still go through human experiences, mm-hmm. um, which because people perceived you as coming from such a th- this perceived dynasty of mm-hmm. of giants that you know it'd be time to pull out the violin or whatever like oh you, you porcelain is good you know and it, it, it's never validated what i'm saying is that what what i got from that entry was the fact that you were frustrated that you really couldn't figure out a way to express the anger you have when those injustices and those situations happen to you because people don't see you as a human being and just see you as part of this, you know, this dynasty that's supposed to be Teflon to emotions. And I can imagine that being frustrating. Can you explain the craft work situation? Yes. Okay. Um, but I will say before before I get into that, just to carry on what you said, the thing is, is that. Dr. Dre is going through this in front of his home and Oprah Winfrey is going through this, you know, in the Hermes store and these are billionaires. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that in that landscape, I think those kind of microaggressions happen to everyone daily as, as a black woman and man in this country. It doesn't matter your class. Um, it doesn't matter how much money you have, what kind of quote-unquote empire, dynasty you come from. Um, That's just the lay of the land. Essentially, um, my husband and my son, who's 12, Jules, and his friend Rashid, um, we went to see Craftwork. And the interesting thing was it was a Friday night. My son had his friend over. They had never heard of Craftwork to be honest, that was the last thing that they wanted to do <laughs> with their Friday night. <laughs> so, you know, Alan and I um, are showing them YouTube videos and trying to make the link with hip hop to get them more interested and showing them visuals and like, no, you guys are going to love this. Like, um, you know, just relating mm-hmm. um, and specifically showing the samples um, that. Jules's uncle um, sample of Craftworks. Right. So, whoever that is, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute. So, essentially, uh, that's important to note just just for the story itself. That, that here you have time. two young black kids who are not really interested, don't have much, you know, knowledge about this band or vested interest in. Yeah. Um, and we are, you know, trying to navigate them into the show and build interest and whatever. 
As soon as we walk in, we got our 3D glasses. We're checking. Was this at their museum run? No, this was at the Orpheum Theater in oh, New Orleans. Th- yeah, theater? it was a theater. Oh, fuck them. Oh, no. oh. Did I just say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're basically walking to our seats, and it just so happened the very song. Um, Mamma Yes, exactly. Was on. And so we were super stoked. We had um, box seats. There was uh, two rows in front of us and one row behind us. And um, we walked to our seats and we're dancing. And these women essentially just started yelling at the top of their lungs, sit down now, sit down, shut up, you guys are being so disruptive. And I turn around and I, in that moment, had to make a decision. Am I going to respond or am I just going to enjoy this song and deal with it later? I actually clocked into myself, you know, you have that moment, and I said... I'm going to dance to this song, and then I'm going to sit my ass down because mm-hmm. I already know where this is heading. Simultaneously, which I didn't write about, which Alan thought was really important for me to note, and note you, my son, is he was 11 at the time, mm-hmm. um, and this the attendant comes over to him and his friend who are sitting down. They weren't standing up dancing, Alan and I were. Mm-hmm. And says, put your uh, no electronic c- cigarettes. Put your cigarettes away. Wait, to you... these children. Yes. Did you? Yes. Cigarettes. Note you, as soon as we walked in, we saw these two older white men sitting in front smoking the cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, we took note of that. We weren't bothered. But, you know, it was just the assumption that if someone was breaking the rules, surely it was the two 11-year-old black kids. <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know? Oh, because somebody said... Smoking but they, out of a yeah. vape. Yeah, vaping. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was just a lot of tension in general. And, and thank God, by the grace of God, Alan hopped into that immediately and was like, ma'am, these are children. You've got the wrong people, whatever. Um, and then... After that, um, um, Alan's going to kill me for, for blanking on the name of the song, Autobahn. Yeah, oh, yeah, Autobahn, yeah, yeah. Okay. That comes on, and on the ride there, uh, Alan had played me the entire 12-minute song. <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happened that that's what they played. So I was like, well, I'm going to just dance to this one, too, because we had just had that moment, oh, and we're at a concert. Yeah, it's a concert, yeah. Right. <laughs> And we're at an electronic dance music concert. It's not like we're they were at, older and nobody yeah, is engaged older. in this concert at all. They're everyone is sitting. So down? there's two. There's two p- parts of this problem. The problem is also that you know we probably should have asked for floor seats, but mm-hmm. we were under the assumption that people were going to be dancing all right. night long. Um, so you're in the balcony of the theater. Yes. Um, so we're dancing, and then. Uh, I feel something hit me on the back of my head, Mm-mm. but I say, Mm-mm. surely I Mm-mm. am tripping. Must be tripping. Must be mm-hmm. tripping, right? Yeah. So I actually tell Alan, I said, I swear, and maybe I'm just losing my motherfucking black ass mind, <laughs> but I just felt 
something hit me on the back of my head and he was like, babe, you might just be tripping, like just lay low. So um, I actually, you know, shook it off. And then I felt something harder oh, hit, no. hit me on my shoulder and my son, my 11 year old son tapped me. He picked up a lime from the ground, oh a half eaten lime. And he said, mom, I just watched these women throw this at you. Oh, right in front of me. Oh no. Just, like, just being tested in all kind of ways. I in mean, front of your son. In front of my you son. Mm. Right. At a craftwork so, contest. At a craftwork contest. Right. I needed the reference. That's what he And I feel so bad because I'm. Sh- they they gave us the tickets. I've never met them. But, you know, it just, it just sucks that they also had to be associated with this incident. But but yeah, you know, in that moment, I basically knew we had probably three choices. One was to react, which probably would have led to someone getting arrested, um, you know, yeah. just spiraling out of control. Or I call the police on them um, because essentially, you know, they did throw shit at me. <laughs> wow, I never even thought of that being an option. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so, you're you're going through I, no, all I feel of you the No, I was just like, oh, we can't. We, we can't. We, can, we, we, should, we, should, we, can. Yeah, we yeah. need to think That's, like them sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's yes. what they do. Yes. I literally But I knew that, that even if that happened, that somehow it would have be been. It would still be our fault. It would still be our fault. Yeah. Or just to just take it and be silenced because I knew that if I. Oh, my God spoke to them that it would escalate and my son was there. Mm-hmm. It was already traumatic enough for him to have to experience that, especially in a context where it was a predominantly white space and he didn't want to be there in the first place. And so now I think the thing that saddened me the most is that here we are as parents trying to expand you know, his horizon and and his experience and make him feel like he belongs wherever he chooses to be. But that was not the message that we got that night. That's not the reality. What do you think he took from that experience? Like, did you explain to him oh, yeah, what was happening? Or do you just like, all right, talks. let's not, let's oh, shield no, him no, from no. it? no, 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 no. We had several talks. In fact, um, you know, the we had, it was, it was a, quite a three days after that. I think that number one, I think just as as a young man and him and Alan both as the men in the family mm-hmm. also felt silent and powerless just in protecting me mm-hmm. in that situation because they are black men and no matter what would have been said or done, they would have been the aggressors in the situation. So on one end, it was about teaching him you know, after the last 11, 12, now 12 years of teaching him about injustices and how to stand up for himself and to not be afraid and to speak up and then having to say, but. Right. <laughs> there is an addendum to that. <laughs> the whole speak your mind thing. Right. <laughs> so it was, it, was just, it was very complicated, but I felt the need to write that piece for him. I felt the need to essentially not be silenced in that situation and to let him know that 
there is an outlet and a way to use his voice responsibly because there are so many people who read that piece who I felt had a deeper understanding of the microaggressions that we face as black men and women on a daily basis who were able to empathize, which is something that we have the expectation of people to do on a daily basis and to treat us with humanity. But um, it was really interesting and I, I felt regretful because I had so much rage in the moment that I started tweeting because I wanted them to see it when they got home. Right. They were put on blast, but I wish that I would have just channeled my emotions and that waited and channeled in that, in that piece. And it was a great lesson learned that, you know, it really is no way to condense that experience in however many letters that you get on 140 characters. That's why Tanashi Coates had to write a book about it. Yeah. 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 It's really no way. But I wanted them to get home and to see them and to right. see they have some accountability. I honestly <laughs> thought that it would come up. At this point, because so many people are just. Do you even think it. they put two and two together? No, they not on. Because the thing is, if they had a line, mm, no, it was space. widely, widely talked about locally in New Orleans. Oh, okay. The <laughs> real crazy shit, though, is that they got up and started dancing. Of course, after you pissed, yeah. and you can't even get out of your pistol. Right, like you burning. Right, and they ah, your pistol. Your pistol. We're going just... to take that word. Yes, yeah. pistol. And oh, and I did forget to note that Alan. Um, went over to them and said, did you just, you know, yes, throw fruit at, or whatever at yeah. my wife? And one of the women says, I just want to make it clear that was not me saying those horrible, nasty things, oh. screaming those horrible, nasty things. So we don't even know what they actually were saying while they were throwing trash. Oh, you got some <laughs> niggas throwing at you. Yeah. You got some niggas. Yeah. And some bitches. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, but, wow. Again, you know, if we can figure out who these ladies <laughs> are. <laughs> Bill and I would be happy to explain to New Orleans. Listen, listen. So you, what 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 should be noted though is, I feel like that was very mature of you Mm -hmm. to just stop pondering and think. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. 
All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're having a fascinating conversation with our guest, Solange. I don't even think, do you remember, I remember the first time I met you. I was in the audience at an Apollo show. Probably was no stop pondering and thinking. And the first time I met you, (laughs) you were confronting someone in the audience about what they said about. Oh. That's the first time I met you. They were out of control, though. And, well, yeah, I know, but it's just like, you know, I always felt that you had to walk the thin line between any any defense, your family, your art, your... You know, and the fact that you, I think I would have lost it, you know, yeah. especially as like, oh, you trying to emasculate me in front of my In front son? of my kids. Oh, yeah. my God. That's the point. That, yeah. uh, that is amazing. I just want to say that to be commended. Um, Thank you. Normally, nah, that was it. Well, I feel like amazing. honestly, throughout the course of making the album, there was an incredible amount of growth um, that I was able to achieve through channeling, you know, this rage and um just frustration and pain through my art and through my writing and I feel like I have a better tool bag. Were you able to get it <laughs> were you able to get it out in, I was, in the record? I was. Even, you know, some things happened last night that I would not have responded in the same way, but I honestly feel like everything that I could have said, I wrote on this album. So when those things are happening to me now versus pre this album, I feel like it's there for you to discover if you want to have that conversation. But I don't feel the need to have those conversations as much as I did prior to releasing this record. The conversation is there, you know? The period between the the true album and this album, like, why didn't you feel that, you know, 2012 wasn't the apropos time to do it? Or even with um, the the Headley Street record? Mm Mm-hmm. Or even, did you have any say in the the very first record, Solo Star? Oh, yeah. That's my baby. Um, I wrote... I wrote probably 75% of that record at 15. Well, you wrote all your material practically, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but. Were there people that, you can't do that and 
Yeah, I'm for sure. Okay, honestly, I remember... when you told me that, I was scared. I was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, honestly, at 15, um, through throughout that record, I think that that was just such an interesting time in music. That was at the height of, um, you know, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, NSYNC. And here I was, everyone goes through that phase. Um, I was 13, went to Jamaica. I was that <laughs> suburban kid who, you know, uh, was definitely felt connected. And I still do feel connected to a lot of principles of Rastafarianism. Um, but I definitely, you know, cut all my hair off. I was a vegan. I was really doing some soul searching. When you were 13? 13? Yeah. 13? Yeah. So this was like your Snoop Lion period? This was <laughs> my Snoop Lion period. Wow. And yes. you did this alone or like under the guise of like... Weed? Was Miss Tina like... No, <laughs> weed. No, no weed. Okay. No, but it was more so about I really did feel a lot of connectivity to my body being a temple and, um, you know, it had a really strong effect on me. And I actually feel like, though, as a songwriter, I was at my most potent and honest, even still to this day, I say it all the time. The way that I approached really? songwriting, yes, there was a sense of clarity. Um, and, like, I'm dying to make a playlist of my 15-year-old songs that I wrote because <laughs> I still still feel like they're some of my strongest songwriting to this wow. day um damn damn yeah really because it's honest the shit you learned yeah yeah i mean but i also was you know extremely privileged to have been in the studio during that time with pharrell and timbaland and um rock wilder and i was around some real musicians you know so it must be interesting for them to have seen you then and then see you now. Like, have you gotten? I'm sure Pharrell has hit you up. Like, whoa. Yeah, and Pharrell has been such a champion of me since day one, and I am so grateful for that. I remember, you know, a lot of times being 14, going into those studio sessions. I was signed to Columbia then. Um, it was a very different Columbia, like I said, and uh, 2002. Three. Ooh. Probably two. Probably two. Um and, and I would walk into these sessions with these producers and they would say, Okay, like we have a few tracks that we want to play you and I was like, No, I actually write my own music. Can you play some instrumentals? Oh. And fifty percent of the time people were like uh, we need to call the A&R and, you know, because they thought that this was just going to be an easy thing. I was Beyonce's younger sister. Like, right. let's just come in, get this check and mm. keep it cute and quick. And I was playing, like, you know, Shiggy Otis records. And, like, <laughs> I actually had Brothers Johnson play guitar on some of my songs on that album. Wow. And like, George Johnson's on your first record? He is. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I um, have to say Pharrell was one of the ones that was just immediately like, okay, <laughs> if you want to write it, then let's do it, you know? 
Um, so yeah, I I feel like what's really interesting is um, that album cover. I actually I have on my little Kari shells and my red and the Rasta cap in the Rasta <laughs> cap, and then in Hadley Street, you know, I. I it was still really really important to me to incorporate social activism um and black pride and black history into that record and my first video I had images of Malcolm X and Angela Davis and Asada Shakir and Che and it was People weren't peeping. Wait, <laughs> but, this part, I decide, I'm, I'm thinking, yes. I'm like, this is I decided. I decided. This is I decided. If you look back at that, yeah, like old that video, she was running on the record. history, it was all of that was in there. So where does that come from? Sound like Miss Tina. All right, I was trying. I was, <laughs> look, I was trying not to do the Quest Love Supreme thing. So I want to go to the beginning. The beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to the beginning. Because they're going to clown me for repetition. All right, so. Okay. I was just saying that to say that it's always been there. You know, it's always the the storytelling through the lens of a black woman and our stories and our history has, for me, always been there and has always been a part of my work. I don't think it's ever been as explicitly as honest and spelled out mm-hmm. and unavoidable. Um, I always did it in ways that were kind of less at the forefront. Um, But I think it was the album that I was really destined to make, you know, from a very young age. And I had gone through enough experiences between that timeline of releasing True um, and the aftermath of that to where it really challenged me to say, what is it? that you can write now that is what you are living through and existing in. And that was that was it, you know? Those stories that are told on the album, that's what I was living and existing in every day. Um, so it felt really good to, to get that out. Well, between True and Headley, um, your, your fondness for the word fucking... <laughs> As in, the first thing I noticed on True was what some the second song. Some things don't just seem to fucking work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to me, that was yes. it was the ultimate sign, title. And then I think Headley's last song was "Fuck This Industry." Yeah, which that's just angst, that was awesome. man. <laughs> <laughs> That was I have to say, um, Dev actually wrote the line, some things never fucking work. So mm-hmm. I didn't say fucking two times. I didn't write fucking two times in a song. <laughs> but sometimes that's just the only way that you can well, just get that shit out. Hey, kind of let you know it. that it's on on <laughs> another level. Um, so... Now I do want to go back to the beginning. So, okay. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning. We were waiting for it. I don't know how I was going to take it. No, I think it's only important because the way that this album is built, especially yeah. with the interludes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay yeah. for those interludes. Yeah. And Yay. Master Thank P you. needs to drop an audio book. Yes. yes. I was going to say. Okay. I'm working on it. Can we? I'm working on it. I've got like two hours of audio from P that will blow your mind. I believe. Now, yeah. okay. White guy questions. 
fuck is why you gotta preface it like that? Why can't they just be questions? No, but this is the pur- the purpose of the show yeah, is for so all of us as different cultures and backgrounds. That's right. As men Inclusion. And women, black and white people and bosses and minions and bosses. <laughs> what? No, I, I, I pointed to myself when I said minions. Um it's got real Disney for a second. Okay. Minions. No, but he okay. I was shocked that Master P got so much uh, space on the album. He, I mean, he's borderline the 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 narrator of the record. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, as he should yes. be. And uh, hang on, I'm sorry. Are you right? I wasn't shocked that you chose him to narrate it mm-hmm. because, unbeknownst to me, he did have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Which again. I think the thing is that hip hop. Maybe this can answer your concern, Bill. Your question. <laughs> he didn't even, he didn't he even get that. Yeah, what was the question? <laughs> and I'm, why Master P? I walked oh, okay, to the door and I said, okay. "I really like the record." What's the deal with Master P? That was oh, the first thing okay, I said when I walked it, in the door. Okay, okay, because I was listening to it the entire ride here, and okay. and that's what I thought. He figured oh, like got it. we earthy chicks. So what you know right. about Master P got and Master P? How to work together? You know. All right. But the thing is, is that with ninety percent. Of the participants in hip hop culture, you really don't get to see the vulnerability and the human side of them. Mm-hmm. So thus, we would just think that Master P is the guy from the from about it, about it, yeah, yeah and just like you know, like okay, it's some guy in the trap and he has money and da 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 and see murder and you don't think of them as human beings, human beings, right? <laughs> The thing that shocked me the most was like I was engaged. I started looking. I didn't even look at the credits. I was just like, "Oh, I wonder if there's another master." Oh, he's back. <laughs> How did you know that he had a story to tell, and why did you think it would be engaging, and why did you provide the platform for him to not tell his story, but also to kind of tell your story as well? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, first of all, I think that. Master P is incredibly regal. And there was a thread of regality that I wanted to connect to the album and to the visuals. I really wanted to present black people um, as, you know, regal, stately beings that we are. And I think that regality can be expressed in so many different ways. But um, I remember, and this might be generational, like seeing MTV Cribs with Master V on it and him having like a gold toilet seat and ceiling (laughs) and like all gold everything and being incredibly ornate. Um, But I also remember my father really looking up to Master P because he was um, a black man who entered this music industry and this landscape completely independent and he held on to his independence. And that was something that was really important for my father as someone who was transitioning as a music executive and learning the business. He, you know, had a great deal of respect for Master P and I would hear about that. Um, So I think that there's like a few different levels to it. One is, again, the regal aspect. I've always, you know, 
thought of him in that way. Um, and then secondly, throughout the course of this album, independence and empowerment is one of the messages that I wanted to constantly drill in and hone in on. Um, and who better to tell that story to me than Master P? I yeah. mean, he is honestly one of the only ones who didn't sell his company, um, who did not, you know, short sight his company and his empire for a check. And he really, really started in the trunks, in the trenches. He saw a vision. What I love about him is that he saw um, so much within his 12 blocks. He saw so much potential and belief within his local community that it was never an idea or um, he, when he speaks about this, he says like he never was thinking about mainstream or building this global empire. He was thinking about a need and demand in his community. You know, he actually opened a record store after he started selling trunks yeah. in his car. And that was during a time when I guess you couldn't like the idea of FedEx and overnighting CDs mm -hmm. like was so foreign. Mm -hmm. But he was in Oakland or somewhere. He was in Richmond. Richmond, Richmond, California. Richmond, California, where it was really hard to get a lot of explicit hip-hop records. And so he struck up a deal with a lot of the Southern distribution places, and he with FedEx albums overnight, and that was, like, unheard of at that time. So he was basically, like, importing CDs locally. <laughs> And, First Amazon Prime. Right, exactly. <laughs> but just the idea for him of wanting to supply that for people who wanted to have access to that, that was super inspiring to me. And then I also think that I see a lot of um, similarities in my father and him and the empowerment of being a self-made black man and navigating through that. One of the things I want to ask you about uh, in regards to your dad, uh, yeah. the interlude where he's talking about like how he was angry as yeah. a kid, that really resonated uh, with me as you know someone that born and raised in the South. Okay. And just from hearing, I don't know how you guys recorded it. I don't know the setting, but it sounded really intimate. And it yeah. sounded like, was that your first time hearing that story from him? No. So I always heard the stories about my father integrating um, his schools. Okay. He did that in both elementary and junior high school in Gaston, Alabama. And my parents are no longer married. Um, I wanted to close the chapter of the, the album making process by interviewing both of them mm. in hopes that A, I could really break down and get to the root and the origin generationally of how some of these traumas have been passed on to me. Um, because I do think that there's generational trauma as black people that Absolutely. you just inherit. And I wanted to be kind of cleansed of that in some kind of way. And if something made the record, then it did. But that was truly for me. 
And one of the beautiful things about this album is that my father and I have had a very complicated relationship and we are so much closer and um, I was able to forgive him for a lot of things and understand him in an entirely new way. So although I had heard the stories before, it was something about having that formal moment of him getting to explicitly tell his story without all this background noise and have the focus be on him getting to be honest and have that moment. He deserved that. And we I'm 30 years old and he's never really had the opportunity to do that in that kind of a setting. And I think that it was just so powerful. There's so much from his story that I couldn't even put on the record. I was going to say, like... Unbelievable Where's the, where's the uncut stuff? Because I know they got stories. I know. I actually... Both yeah. of my parents, like, I want to do something with that audio much bigger because I think that now through me making this record and my sister making her last record, I think that people have come to have a better understanding Mm. of what kind of household we grew up Mm -hmm. in and the kind of values and um, just the environment that we were raised in. And I think that both of my parents have such interesting stories that are not, you know, unique to a lot of Black folks' parents. Nah, yeah, but, not at all. Yeah. But I will say that there's something specifically about carrying the weight of, of integration that I hadn't thought of in that way. And that is very unique. Like, oh, you yeah. can't, not many people can say that their parents integrated. Well, we're school. the last, well, not really you, but you probably more your sister, but that's, <laughs> we're the last generation of parents who have experienced that. I mean, yeah. most of our parents were of a certain age in 1965 when they were able to vote. But it's funny because listening to those interludes, it made me happy. I actually listened to my mom, but my mom and I was like, oh, my God, mom, I'm so happy because people get to see the foundation of which yeah. you two come from. And for a lot of black people, especially a lot of black women, it's just a level of even more comfortability. Of course, it also made me worry. Yeah. Because I was like, you part of your life is in a, in a pop world. Right. And. I don't know. Just even even with a little bit of too formation. Black, too strong. Yeah, too the formation was a, I was like, I was and then I was like, oh here comes Solange. Oh, ooh, here comes Miss Tina. Oh, ooh. They, they, they know that they know that they're black now. Blackness it's really overload. it's really not a secret. They're black. And their their black is just like a lot of other people's black. And yeah, yeah for a minute I did have a I had a little worry. Yeah. Yeah, no, the the interludes were really they were really powerful, and I think that um, just having that documentation, I honestly just feel like it's something that everyone should do. Like yeah. everyone should should Absolutely. have that yeah. of their parents, yeah. that uh, uh, some kind of documentation of their storytelling. I understand them so much better, and I honestly feel like I will be a yourself, better yeah. better person and a better parent for it. Like. Um, just certain things that my dad was telling me that that I had not heard before, like the electric prodding that he was electric prodded um maybe two or three occasions. I didn't understand how much of a participant that my dad was in the terms of the civil March. rights movement mm-hmm. where was he where was he born in Gaston, Alabama? Oh, boy. Sure. 
Yeah, he was. He was a classmate of Coretta Scott's, oh. and he was a freedom fighter. Really? And he did sit-ins, and he did. Daddy looked young. Because mm-hmm. I yeah. wouldn't. Wow. So I learned I learned all of that. I didn't know that. And it was really interesting because my dad, um, he had a full scholarship um to uh Tennessee for basketball. Mm-hmm. And he he spoke about how he didn't actually love basketball, but he used it as a defense to basically have safety from racism because then people were able to like him and accept him and protect him from all of the fuckery that was (laughs) happening. And it carried him through high school and kind of gave him a safety net from all of the violence that was happening. Got a full scholarship and um, played uh, Fisk. There was a huge riot because um, he was a black kid on on this college team, mm-hmm. which that was also the very early stages of that happening. And there was a huge fight between the two schools and people, you know, were flipping cars and it got really violent and really crazy. And he bore the weight of that because black people were mad at him. They were calling him a traitor. You know, how could you and you Uncle Tom and all of that. And um, there was a coach from Fisk who said, listen, like, we know you have this full scholarship and that you're set. And at this point, my dad had been in predominantly white schools for, you know, 15 years. That's who he was around all the time. And um, they offered him uh, a scholarship to Fisk. And everyone thought he was absolutely crazy. And he left Tennessee and um, stayed and went to Fisk. And when he went there, he thought, like, I'm about to be balling and fly. And it actually was super corny at the time to be an athlete. And it was much cooler to be an intellectual and be on the debate team and to... Uh, you know, be stylish and, um, you know, just be smart. And that was his first black experience was that it was awesome to be smart. And so he He really was a nerd. My dad really was a nerd. So he was just like super stoked. So just hearing all of that, like that's the shit that you never hear about. Like I never knew that during that time that that was considered more cool you know like you don't hear that story so it was just a lot that came out of it that really really empowered me through the making of this record all right y'all you know what season it is tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel and if you're like me you're already in your airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. 
So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're here with Solange. Uh, in Electric Lady Studios. Yes. Uh, yes, this is where in I studio turned a. in studio. my album, by the way. Wait, what? So you came what? here too? I turned in my album. I played it for the label here only, I don't know, two months, three months ago. Wow. Yeah. So the engineer who was walking around, I remember him from that day. But imagine. Shout out. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine, though, like me having to play this for, you know, my white record label heads. (laughs) Yeah. When when Don't Touch My Hair came on, what did they they do? Because, you know, I got to tell you, for that record, with such a. Because a lot of us, I'm not going to say 100%. Wait, wait, bring it down. So long as you understand why I'm, I'm a little befuddled because it's something that we go through all the time and to be able to, the way that you said it in such a calm way and then the, watch what you say to me, but it was still like smooth. But it, in my mind, I translated it, what you say to me, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Don't touch my hair. But can you walk us through this song and why you chose to do it, and you chose to do it on Saturday Night Live, which was really brave, and I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I had a, a jam session, or a, a week of jam sessions, when I first started to write the album. And for whatever reason, I just sang one day, don't touch my head. <laughs> Don't know why, I just said it. And... Probably wrote that song in like 10, 15 minutes. I think it was so potent at the time. And it was less about, you know, the actual physical touching of the hair and more about the allowance to have our safe spaces, our cultural, you know, things that we celebrate, um, our pride. Um, our glory and and saying like don't touch that don't come for me let us have this moment let us revel in this culture that we have built 
from nowhere and still have to protect on a daily basis. Because in, um, in my minds, too, in, in that metaphor, you're like, because every day we see it being taken from us. And mm-hmm. so in that moment, because I knew what you meant. I knew it wasn't just a physical, don't touch my hair. but it's Which a, is also annoying. Right. Too, it's all annoying. It's like, don't touch my hair. Don't touch my culture. Don't yeah. touch. Let me. Can I have this? Yes. Can I have my <clears throat> cornrows and not my box breaks? Excuse right. me. It's just right. well, my thing. Can I ask, and this is not a... Okay, you're already uh, unfold the arms. No, I'm, right I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean so. <laughs> Wait, y'all can't see. Like, you already, like, Turn. taking her I'm earrings in, off. Like, I'm just. Say I'm, some of me. I'm, I'm feeling the spirit something. of all the chicks who love this record, okay? Oh, and that's what you. it is. Thank you. Well, I, I want to ask a question. Is, is it possible to, in the age of the internet, mm-hmm. kind of. Of of diluting regionalism and and culture mm-hmm. at the same time, is it possible for culture practices to not be appropriated when the internet makes it so easy for you to have access to it? I I don't think it's I th- well I think it's just all in how you do it. You know what I'm saying? I think if you do it like in a tasteful way. Then I don't think nobody getting mad at just it. Just don't act like it's yours and you created it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean, but that's always been my belief. yeah, yeah. Like or like when they try to like what you said. I mean, with the cornrows and like they were like Caitlyn Jenner's and no, not Caitlyn, the other one, Kendall, whatever. Kendall, yeah, Kendall Kylie, Jenner's Kylie. incredible. Kylie's mm-hmm. new, incredible new box bold braids. Boxer, yeah. It's like no. we've been doing that. Leroy from Fame had been. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you taking the Leroy? It's a banging one. This is Fonte. Have you met Fonte? Because that's what he does. Shout out to Gene Anthony. Yeah, shout out to Gene Anthony. I appreciate Rest you for that. Peace. But no, we've yes, been doing Gene that. So. Appropriation is, is such a complicated conversation. It it's really hard to simplify. But, um, but it's rarely a conversation because I only see it too. on... I I see it addressed on Twitter. (laughs) Right, but I never hear the conversation of it. Part of my dismay, or what Twitter has taught me, at least. Oh, wow. What Twitter has taught me. Exclusive. Um, Well, no, no, no. I mean, the, the general belief is that basically, you know, the idea that black culture. Um, there's a, there's a difference between loving black culture but not black, black lives. People. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So usually, especially with the onslaught of of the police activity, yeah. the police assassinations <laughs> <laughs> that have been going on in 2016, um, you know, the sudden silence that you see some of our appropriators that are speaking that you know won't speak up for us, but mm-hmm. will still, you know. Yes, take they're, they're, our shit, rock our shit. They dab with us, yeah. right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah, they dabbing. They ain't marching though. Yeah, I hear you though. Well, yeah, this I mean, true. Well, to, to explain to Bill and to Steve here, a lot of the, a lot of the, 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 the seeds of of dismay and anger lie in the fact that um, you have artists that are quick to, you know, borrow you the fashion. Uh, and go. and the language and the dances and the music and the inspirations and and the swag and the lifestyle, but when it comes to us as human beings, again, it's like black people are rarely seen as human beings. Mm-hmm. Like even listening to 
like from what we generally hear about your father and just seeing him in the news, mm-hmm. I just seeing him as an overprotective, mm-hmm. you know, guy in the background that caused all the shots. Mm-hmm. And I like I know he had a story this this struggle. Yeah, this this it humanized him. It, yeah, it, uh, now I want to know more about Matthew Knowles that I never knew about. Like mm-hmm. my dad's story is is really powerful. Yeah. When you said it was difficult with you guys before, like what what made it difficult with your relationship? Or complicated, uh, that was your word. I just think that honestly, the weight that you have to carry as a black man, especially coming up in that time, there are just things that I could never understand, how that tolls on you emotionally and your decision making. Um, And not being able to have an outlet to really say, I'm flawed. You know, I made mistakes because you've had to be black excellence your whole life. And he had to be black excellence in order to give what he gave to my sister and I. And so I think that that's a heavy burden to carry. I think that this album was as much of a tribute to my parents and my grandparents and my ancestors and my lineage of everyone who played a role and the privilege that I have today. And I don't take that for granted, you know. I I know now I'm very clear on all of the steps that my parents took for us to be who we are. When I say who we are, I mean as humans, as women, as black women, as mothers, as wives. And I think that he was, you know, sort of a chosen one. And I I do my yeah, little quote hands yeah, yeah. there because I think that in black communities, um, especially in that day and age, there is a little bit of a chosen one complex um, in terms of like, oh, you're a smarter black little nigga or like you know you're one of the really intelligent ones our articulate an exception to yeah yeah you're the exception that proves you're the the exception (laughs) and i think that um him being chosen to be integrated um my my grandparents were very very poor um they did not have even high school education um and my dad was just, they were very smart, um, but they were not educated at all. And so for him to have gone through that journey as like sort of this chosen one, and it just continued from the, every phase in his life, essentially, from elementary school on up. Did he have siblings or was he the only child? So he had um, 14 foster sisters yes! and brothers. But he was the only biological child mm. of my grandparents. Um, it's yeah, such what's a your grandparents' story? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that was dope. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, what? <laughs> to get 13 other kids. No. Let's really go and back he to the beginning. He has yeah. Um, yeah. a half sister, my aunt, um, Shaquita. And <laughs> that is his mom's daughter um, from another relationship. Wait, we're just. But, I can't revel in that for one second. Shaquita. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's loaded. And I remember going, 
you know, two guests in and like my grandparents still having an outhouse and us having mm. to use the outhouse for the bathroom and my sister and I would be like, this is some fuck shit. Like, <laughs> why are we here? This is so gross and crazy. But honestly, my, my dad's side of family was so G'd up. Like my grandmother was a boot, um, my great grandmother was a bootlegger and she was like 80 years old, 75 years old, still bootlegging alcohol. Selling hooch. Yep. And <laughs> she was like the most... Come on, now. <laughs> she was like the most Yeah. It worked out really Gasp. well for her because she was like the little old lady. So she basically, um, they owned a property next door. And in the wee hours, like she would basically, you know, have this little juke joint going and people would be like, who is running this? And she would be complaining like, it's keeping Holly and I'm 78 years old and they keeping the neighbors up. And blah, blah, blah. Perfect. So that was that. And then my great grandfather on that side, um, his name was Dave Hogue. He was one of the first black men to own that amount of land. And he actually was so smart, he didn't have enough money to um, turn the land into farmland because that would have meant him having, you know, lumber chopped down and, and he didn't have the money, the cash flow to do that. But he had the land, so he struck up a deal with the city that and charged them, of course, that they could, you know, come and use his land as lumber. That is, yeah. That's so genius. that basically he, they cleared out his shit, but oh, he wow. also got a check. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. they were incredibly smart. They were not educated, but they were really, really smart business people and entrepreneurs. And so I think to answer your question, because I just went all around the block and back. I just think that he had a very heavy burden to weight and to hold. And um, especially my my sister's um, group, when they were like 13, 14, their manager passed away um, from uh, lupus mm. and Tillman. And they had just gotten an offer from uh, LaFace, actually. Wow. And she passed away really tragically. And my dad stepped in and was like, well, someone has to step in. Like, this offer is on the table. They're kids. And she was doing all of the paperwork. And he literally just went to the library and bought every book that he could find on the music business. He had no experience. Wow. He was um, vice president regionally of of Xerox um, in the Southern region. So he was an incredibly, you know, gifted businessman, but he basically knew nothing about the music industry. And he had to step up to the plate and make sure that no one was gonna screw these 14 year old girls. But that's not the narrative that everyone has, you yeah. know, been sold. Right. You could have sworn he was Joe Jackson or not. That's so interesting. <laughs> we had Alan Leeds here and Shep Gordon and listening to how they became managers was so more 
matter factly like they didn't it was no studying involved it was no going right. to the library it was like right. Jimi Hendrix said you're Jewish you should be a, a manager wow <laughs> you know wow. Matthew knows struggle a little different yeah yeah and he he basically applied all of the knowledge that he knew from corporate America wow. um, in terms of negotiations my dad Xerox the department that he actually led a lot of people don't know this. Xerox is the leading manufacturers for x-rays and MRIs and medical equipment. And so it was his job to basically go to hospitals and sell this super expensive state-of-the-art um, medical equipment. And he basically just utilized all of those skills, wow. you know, in the music industry. And I just think, you know, he had a, a lot of pressure and knowing his story and having the space for him to be allowed to tell that explicitly, it really, really changed the dynamic of our relationship. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Okay. I know, I know like we kind of, the, 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 the modus operandi of the show is to really dissect the music and the art and everything. So this is probably the first time we've ever dealt with social issues on the show. But uh, it, all, I, it all is connected. Yeah. It all, it oh all my god, damn it! I just had therapy in here. So just every week, Salon. Well, no, every week. I would every be week. remiss. I would be it's remiss free. if I didn't mention uh, the Little Wayne incident. Not to be confused with the Kraftwork incident. It's going to be a lot of <laughs> incidents. Incident. Mm. Um, but I guess I should let the listeners know that there's kind of been grumbling and debates on the room on how. I guess uh, brother Tip, T.I., has uh, decided to handle his chastising of Little Wayne. I, I guess Bill and 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 yeah, Fran Tickle. How does it go? Oh, re- re- reenact this. What's the? Okay, I don't I, know the oh. T.I. part. Okay, well, the, who's well, who? The, the Little Wayne. Okay, I'll be I'll be Little Wayne, or maybe you should be T.I. because you have the more stately voice. <laughs> so, so maybe I'll be I'll be Lil Wayne. Oh, okay. Lil Wayne. Should, should I pull up? I'm a young rich motherfucker. <laughs> I'm a young rich nigga. I know Black Lives Matter. I'm a nigga. He a white man. He filming me. My life matters, especially my bitches. Nah, no, he didn't say that. So that's Lil Wayne. Whoa, okay, now, he said especially. <laughs> Oh, my yeah. bitches, especially to my life matter, especially to my bitches. No, he didn't. See, on TV? MS, MSNBC yeah. didn't play that part. <laughs> it's online. It's on. It's on Twitter. You, you add this to things you learn from Twitter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So his life matters, especially to his bitches, which I think is a motivational statement. <laughs> Can I make a T-shirt? <laughs> out? I, 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 I think that's. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is about to take a whole another turn. I didn't especially know that statement to my bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be particular about this. All now. right, Bill, did you find you, you ready for your part with Ti? Why isn't Fonte do that shit? Done little wings. So before. then, so then, uh, Ti got on Instagram and like he, you know, I guess he had you know dictionary.com app open. <laughs> <laughs> Time out. <laughs> no, no, no. Go. Now wait for Go, the record. For, oh, for the record. <laughs> for the record. Y'all are shady. <laughs> for the record. Yeah, like we're snarky. Nah, we're we're snarky, no, not yo, shady. Yo, T.I.'s a man. T.I.'s, we talked about this last night. And, well, I commended him on handling it. In that, okay. What did he say? Well, he, well, his, oh, he was Here, like, listen, so, stop cooning. And basically he was like, look. He you, said cool. He said we're cool. Yes. yes. Right. <laughs> he was like, yeah, stop cooning. But my it's thing a first. Is, it's a first. It's a first. I have to say, I really appreciate what 
T.I. has done mm-hmm. the work that he's done for the movement, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. over the course of these this last year, really, I think it it takes a lot of bravery to step up Absolutely. and actually try to walk and live in that truth outside of just making art about it. You well, know, he's saying that he because he has children mm-hmm. that he sees life different now than say eleven years ago when he was mired in a lot of trouble and controversy. You know, it was like he was about that life. End quote. Um, but I guess the grumbling in the room was whether or not he should have sunned him, sunned him in public, or have a conversation. Maybe he did both, and maybe he felt like he had a responsibility to. Yeah, I don't think the sunning was self-serving. Like some people will sun just to be self-serving, as in to be like, "Yo, yo, that nigga woke." Like you see what Ti did and, to and him. See, and that's and, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. I feel like on like mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, everybody's competing for woke points it's and shit. True. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so for me, my thing is like, I feel like everything that Ti said then was valid, but I'm just at a point with me now where it's like I'm very careful about the way we talk to each other in front of white people. Mm-hmm. You know what well, I'm saying? We've always been that way, though. Well, Except yeah. for this radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the million people. I was like, I was like well, how does that, what does that sound like? <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> what the and white people don't even know about this general rule amongst black people. So yeah. it's interesting that you're bringing this no, to the No, for forefront. real. It's like, well, the yeah. last, well, you know, yeah. the last time, the last time that someone was on this level was KRS One and Prince B. And we know well, how that, that after that confrontation, that the PC. Y'all better give us a circa after period. 1990. Oh, reference. don't act like you. Um, <laughs> were you yeah. trying to act like you don't remember that? Karis oh, won. wait, PM Don. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. No, Prince B in an interview said I, he's a teacher, but what, what kind of teacher, teacher is he? Is he? Right. A teacher of what? He in details. Distant, right. yeah. it was, so, okay, in Details Magazine, uh, he was basically saying that a lot of uh, message teacher rappers, he was referring to Chuck D and. Karis One, uh, we're making mountains out of Mo Hills, and you know, mm-hmm. basically that we we are hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, later in in light of Prince B's death, I think a lot of us when we saw the source, you remember like the source on the last page you said that cartoon, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I know exactly what the, you're talking about, right? So there's there's an illustration of Karis One grabbing, grabbing Prince him, B by the pants off. stage, and and later I found out, and actually. Uh, uh, Later verified through uh, T Money, whose birthday party it was. T Money, formerly of uh, Yom TV Raps and Original Concept on Def Jam Records, um, that it wasn't that level of like him getting kicked off the stage and thrown off. Um, it was kind of like a, okay, it was maybe a, a lighthearted coup d'état. Like they just took over the stage and performed, and yeah. PM Dawn just exited stage left. So. That's that's one thing that happened. Like, yeah, this is pre like Instagram and Snapchat when it was could be verified, right? So <laughs> you could tell tall tales and just, right. But know, the, the urban legend whatever. of the story is that Karis Warren in his anger came and just drop yeah. kick. PM <laughs> Dorn. I mean, Prince pounds. B was like three hundred and seventy yeah. trillion pounds. He's bigger he was than light me. on his feet, though. My my whole point <laughs> is that after that period of. Uh, or at least the you know the idea of you could lose your career if you criticize somebody mm-hmm. publicly and they respond mm-hmm. to you. Got it. 
about it. I felt that we lost something because after that incident, every person that would otherwise have an opinion or two cents about what he feels about another rapper, uh, that just got squashed because no one wanted to risk the public humiliation right. of the retaliation right. of, oh, you going to share your two cents about me? Yeah, I'm going to see you at blah, blah, so blah, so, blah, blah. Yeah. The confrontation basically stopped since 1993. So I just felt that was necessary, one, because that is the first time that that level of public criticism has happened. And in general... Yeah, I mean, dude, I mean, Wayne is Wayne is family. Like, I'm about to work with him in a month and a half or so. Yeah. My point is that I I just feel as though maybe now, once we start confronting each other, and those that know better, right, will do, we'll do better. And those that should know better, I feel <laughs> yes, I feel as though even if Wayne doesn't know better, I would like to think that now he might surround himself. <laughs> <laughs> it happened before. Right. Like, let's be real. He is who he is, and especially at the age, it's hard enough to get a regular black man to change. But a rich black man, it's not. No, he is where. How did you feel now that he's been on the Mad Song? I think that I feel really conflicted about the whole situation. I think that his verse he's was so powerful, the, yeah. and I think that you know he really was the perfect person to obviously speak to being mad he does have a lot to be mad about and I've been really conflicted do I have a responsibility as an artist and who I align myself do I take on their politics Mm. and their ideals just by creating with them but ultimately the answer is no I don't I I created a song um and a message that was very clear. I think people are very clear on my stance and my politics, especially when it comes to black issues. Um, And I would just, I would just uphold him to a responsibility, like you said, now that, you know, you have children. My son is 12 years old and he respects him as an artist. He's a fan. And I would like to to see us uphold a certain level of responsibility for our children and the internalized messages that they're already having to fight so hard against. We don't need to be on the same team, you know, combating those messages in that way. Like, we got to be more unified than that. Um, this is me not playing devil's advocate again, which... I guess kind of means that I'm about you to, to play, play that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um But based on the interview, I, which I still didn't hear that last statement, but <laughs> I had the feeling that he literally did not know what she was talking about. What Black Lives Matter was? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are unclear on Black Lives Matter as an organization, the organization and, and the an movement. entity and mm-hmm. the movement itself. But do you at think the it's possible end of the to day, the statement, no. the statement itself in that Black Lives Matters, there should not be any hesitation to, mm-hmm. you know, just be able to say that and be proud and feel pride in that. What is there to combat? But I don't that think he literally. Itself? I think he literally. Didn't okay. I know mad mad people in Brooklyn. I know mad people in Brooklyn 
that are proud to not ha- to not have a television. Okay. All right. So we take those people, and then there's the. Uh, Oh, I can't watch the news because it's too it's too, it's too much. He yeah. has like six children who have homework. I'm not doing that with you. I see where you're going, but this is where I think it falls apart. Uh-uh. Because he said, because he starts off and he's like, well, nah, what is Black Matter? What is that? But then he says, well, no, what it is, it's actually police killing people. So he's aware of what it is, but he just doesn't agree with the way that the argument is being framed. So he's aware of what it is, but he's just saying... You know, that doesn't have anything to do with me, which I mean, in fairness, I think that's his reality. You know, what I mean, like, you know, if you ask for a lot of, you know, rich black people, oh, he's taking a black Republican stance. I mean, dude, but is it not real? That's, it, that's, that's his reality. That's why, again, back to our guest, back to Solange, why your album, I think, is resonating with so many people is because it is present and you have your finger on what everyone is talking about like just you know you articulate it better yeah you articulate it way better <laughs> this is the black lives matter yo album. this is the blackest episode of quiz love supreme to date <laughs> <laughs> but no your album I, I think it really speaks to where where people are feeling right now and that's why it's resonating because you know even though with all your success and you know with your sister's success and you being involved in all these things you're still just saying like listen all of that or this is my interpretation you know with all of this is whatever, I'm still a black woman in America and these white bitches still throwing lives at me. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so it's, you know, so I, I commend you uh, for I that. I really, that really uh, speaks a lot. When you have people like a Wayne and not to beat up on him because I fuck with Wayne too. Like, that's my man. But, but you know, there is a difference. And I think it shows that when people like you make a record like this, that makes it even harder for, for me Mm-hmm. To give cats like Wayne or whoever a pass. It's like, nah, bro. Like, if she know what's going on, how you don't know? Mm. You know what I mean? You're right. And I think we have a responsibility, especially in the places that we are in, to want to know. And to have a yearning to understand. There's still so much that I'm learning that I'm not privy to about other cultures and sexualities that you have to go and Google and learn your shit. You have to have a yearning to want to treat people in the way that they deserve to be treated and to have empathy and humanity. Um, And no one expects everyone to know everything and to just have a plethora of knowledge, you know, sitting there. But you have to want to know and to take on that responsibility to expand yourself. And I think that as artists, if you move all the other stuff aside, I would just hope that as artists that we're all doing that so that we can become better artists. Yeah. And, um you know, I think that that's a really important thing to just want to evolve and grow in, in yourself so that you also are doing that in your artistry so that it inspires people and people are able to build off of that. So I think that that was kind of my stance on that. Just one lyric that I always wanted to ask you about. Uh, it was uh, it was a it was a Beyonce lyric where she says and. Pardon me if I butcher it. <laughs> but she was saying, you know, my my sister taught me to speak my mind. Mm-hmm. If I'm That was all right. <laughs> uh, okay, I got it right. All right. <laughs> um where what explain that? Like what influence did you play or do you do you think you played on her in that way? I mean, 
I don't know. I I didn't know that, that lyric was gonna come out, so I was just as, as surprised as everybody else. Um, but I think that our relationship is really cool because since we've been younger, we've both been very, very protective of each other and we both have pushed each other and the boundaries and our ways of communicating through just humans and women, but also as artists. And um, I think everyone who's around me, friends, family, my son, his friends, I'm a huge you know, advocate for people getting to live in their honesty and their truth. I think we all deserve that. And even when I think back to my SNL performance, like, you know, just the feeling of being able to say that everything that we do as humans is not going to be perfect and it's going to be flawed and to be able to own those imperfections and speak up on them and not feel hindered or, you know, um, that I I would like to, to think that maybe, you know, just as family that I've, I have played a role in also constantly telling her that as well, you know, just I tell all of my, especially my black women friends, like we have to operate in the world so, so heavily and carrying so much weight on a daily basis, mm -hmm. the black woman mm -hmm. in America. And I think that we're not told like, it's okay to be flawed and to not be so strong all the time. I, and yeah, not you took the words be... out right, right out my mouth. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, I know you're mad regular. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. I am. I'm pretty, I'm pretty regular. I'm mad, okay. In my head? Whatever. No, in my head, I felt like this. You know, that's very funny. A lot of my friends describe me as that way. And I'm like, I don't know how what to feel that? about that. Like, um... Well, that's when I knew you'd be cool. <laughs> okay. But, you know, in the beginning, it's... Okay, to an outsider, because the perception of the dynasty is so gleamingly blinding that, again, people... Don't Until think. my mom was on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm following <laughs> her. I'm following her. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love, you, I love your mom on Instagram. <laughs> Tina, we getting it. But getting the babies. What I'm saying is that do you still feel? I know that you fight for your private life and you fight. Well, not fight. Just to you, you. I protect it. Well, not even protect it. Just you're going to do what you're going to do. And sometimes you just want mad normal moments. Mm-hmm. And you guys indulge in mad regular normal, hey, the you know, the 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 Knowles dynasty are just no, like dude, us. When I saw her when I saw Miss Tina and Mr. Lawson posing in the parking lot <laughs> of Costco, I was like, yo, they the realest niggas out right now. <laughs> like, dog, like, I'm like, yo, she real for that. And she was happy to get them savings. Like, Very. You know I mean? Oh, my God. She's so serious about those markdowns. But, I mean, do, do you, at what point did you collectively, all of you, decide, like, I'm done. I'm tired. Like we, we could just be <laughs> regular. I mean, because some of y'all are superheroes to some people, and then you want to be regular. To, so, at what point do you just decide, like, I got to be regular and and I'm gonna just be me? Yeah. I don't know. I think I personally have always operated from a space of, like you said, like what. I'm drawn to the things that bring me the most joy and I try to nurture them, whatever that is. And I've also lived in places that have allowed me to do that safely. Um, like living in New Orleans is a huge part of that. And Why did you choose to, New Orleans? I love New Orleans. I just love the city. I love the people. I love the culture. But did you kind of break up with New York? Because I read something like that you kind of got tired of cer- certain aspects of New York. Or East Coast elitism, liberalism, like that whole. That thing. was definitely a part of it. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a part of it. But I think but ultimately, you were doing so good in Brooklyn. Yeah, we were nah. doing so good in Brooklyn. Yeah, I, well, if you give it, you're doing Brooklyn better in New Orleans. New Orleans. I take clearly. New Orleans. Yeah, do you still I, have those house parties? How do, with, how do you do with all that gentrification in Brooklyn and stuff? It's just a, it's a lot. It happens. It's, it's happening too. in New Orleans. It is happening. Too. Uh, yeah, but it, it's, it's happening slower. everywhere. Do you still have those house parties? In New Orleans. <laughs> Her last night in Brooklyn was was really cool. Like, I I have not even had a house party in my house. Like when I do a party, I gotta do it somewhere that's not oh, in my no, house. You right. that shit. Yeah, but it was like it was like a cool house party Me with like DJ coolest people on earth. We How could it be? We weren't there. What's up? I didn't know y'all then. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, we wasn't on the radar. It's been 20 years. <laughs> I didn't know you then. Yo, can I just add on this to something that you said? Though? I wanted to ask you, you know, Amir said something about um, 
just the perception of you. But I feel like Solange fans have a different perception of you. Yeah, and I, I think so yeah, too. Yeah, like I feel like, and kind of going back to what Fonte said, because I said to Fonte when we first were talking about having you on the show, I was like, you know, Solange is like, she's free. You know, and even yeah, when I think you even called me the male Solange. I said, one time. I, told Fonte, I did. I said, Fonte, you, because he was like, who, who else? He said, what does that mean to you? And I said, well, to me, it means that whatever she does and whichever way she decides to do it, people who love her will follow. They fuck with it. Yeah. And they, they'll fuck with you. And you don't have any leashes or any fences around you. Like, and the way as you said it so easily, like, you know, I get to say all these things that I want to say and do all these things I want to do. That's like freedom. Yeah. Do you know that? Do you know that your fans look at you as kind of like the free? Yeah, I mean, bird? it's a it's 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 a lot that comes with that because I think even just the design of the term like carefree black girl, um, parts of that I embrace and then parts of that I reject because I do have a lot of care. Oh, I don't know what the care. I, I didn't say the care. I said free. Okay, okay, okay. I know the, well, I know you what, know that, that sounds like the valley girl. That's the new like, thing, the carefree black girl. Carefree black girl, yeah. Black girl. Yeah, that's, that's the new Twitter Term. Yeah. Who is a, yeah. What is a carefree black girl? There's no such thing. But you were well, born I think in the it's 90s. The, I right? think it's the idea of if, <laughs> we, if <laughs> we claim that and we, we claim that as our names, that people are not allowed to see black women as carefree individuals. They see us as angry black women, as, tired. you know, very woeful, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Yo, this so, just turned into an I'm episode sorry. of Iyanla. Just, <laughs> Yo, I was going to say, is this, is this a Fix My Life? No, this, is like a fi- this is like a... But no, no but this, this is just, great. As this men, is can I just ask y'all as men, like, what you just said, I feel all the time. Y'all don't... That didn't just make you tired just hearing that? No, 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 that? listen. Yo, like, let me be real. Yo, 100. This, this is like black healing time. No, <laughs> no, that was real. Because what she said, because Solange, she took the words out of my mouth when she was talking about, like, strong black women. And that's something that I've always... What I think is like, you know, kind of the gift and the curse, so to speak, of black women is that that's like the first thing that black women always describe as she's so strong. She's so strong. She's so strong. And so when you do that, it's like, yeah, they're strong in the sense of like what we've had to endure as people and how like women have been the backbone of the family and all of that. Right. But it it wasn't a choice. And two, when you characterize something as always being strong, you don't ever give it a chance to be delicate. So you don't ever get you know, a black black women get to be soft or vulnerable yeah. or delicate or yeah. fragile. You know what I'm saying? You never get to see them in that way. So oh, again, okay. that was just one of the things I liked about your album. It gives a full portrait of just a black see, woman's Fonte's humanity. The friend to the black woman. That yeah, the, I might get that on the t-shirt. Quasar, <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, is not apparently. Apparently, you are such a friend. The friend to the black woman. I like black women. <laughs> and Steve and Bill I'm dead I'm, that and, I'm, and I must say and this is all because me and Solange we had a Twitter uh, 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 incident yeah, there was a lot did. of incidents we had a crab incident we definitely we had a real Twitter know. incident but, oh uh, shit but it was all good but I forgot about that <laughs> Okay. I forgot about that. But you know what I will say about my black asses? I will pick up a phone. Oh, yo, she was on it. <laughs> oh, she do it? And that day was did like... Did she do the, it, Fonte? Oh, did she? I, I will no, try to All I wanted was little brother to reunite. That's all I wanted. <laughs> and, and now we're here. That's all I wanted. Now this is happening. 
But it was cool. I mean, we chopped no, it, it up cool. and everything. Had, it was all we good. We had respect for each other. That's the way it should be. I, I'm really, really like clean and sober Twitter beefs for a very long time. But I, I really, really try to pick up the phone. So I appreciated that moment. Because a lot of people are scared of that dialogue. Like yeah. they want to to leave it there. And it's like, nah, we in the real world, no, nigga. We're in you the gotta real pick, yeah. World. Yes. Speaking of your Twitter beast, I must say, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, John, I liked your. Uh, well, not that one. It was her uh, deep album, deep brandy oh, album. Yeah, cuts. yeah. Necessary. Oh yeah, John. Very necessary. Oh, okay. She has a song called Very Nece- Necessary. Necessary. That I love so that record. That, yeah, yeah, that's why I was so referring. good. Oh, okay, brandy, sorry. Y'all oh, no. brandy, brandy. You're like, yeah, that was the setup. <laughs> You failed. <laughs> so John from the New York Times. John oh, Caramonica? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. What, Have you spoken hard. to him about... So, yeah. We, he must love the album because He undeniable. does love the album. Ah, nice. Yeah, so... I'll, I'll clue so you what in I later. Will, okay, you see, what I will say is that, again, me me and my pick up the phone... You call ...looking him? ass. So, yeah, after that happened, I tracked down his number... Um, and <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> and I emailed him immediately because, like I said, I really do. I'm I'm a big fan of conversation. Like nothing about conversation scares me. I think that, again, not to bring it back to my dad. I think that was one thing that, for whatever reasons, he put a lot of emphasis on. Like never be afraid of conversation. So when I you know, heard and read those statements that he made about don't let the hand uh, bite the, hand that, bite the hand that feeds you and wouldn't be Solange if there was no grizzly bear and yada, yada. Um, I immediately reached out to him. I said, can we have a conversation about your statements? And he he wrote back something very snarky. Mm. Um mm. And y'all sound like me over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm hey, good. I, I speak record fact, critic. <laughs> in fact, if I'm gonna be perfectly honest, and I think that this is it's it's it sucks that he has to bear the weight of this, but this really was sort of the catalyst and the moment that I said I have to write this album. Mm. So it's an important part of the conversation. I knew this was the genesis. It was. It was. <laughs> I lost a lot of sleep about that, and I. I wrote him and I said, can we have a conversation? He wrote back. He said, I'm assuming you don't want to talk about Tamia. So I just kind of scratched my head and was like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing here. Um, and ultimately, a conversation was not had. And I felt very silenced. And again, it's sort of like that craft work incident where you are like brewing in this mm-hmm. incident. And you're not really able to speak your piece. Um, And um, it was so crazy because the conversation about Brandy was completely isolated. It had nothing to do, actually, with what they were originally talking about, which was like a review of a Chief Keef album, which I couldn't tell you anything about a Chief Keef album. That was an isolated thing that I just kind of got looped into um, through virtue of the topic of cultural tourism. And um, I think it was all relevant in that way, but I was just kind of being looped into it. And um, it was so weird. Mardi Gras in New Orleans, I have a very different experience. It's very spiritual for me. And it's like 
when Fat Tuesday comes, that's a day of release and relief. And for whatever reason, it was Mardi Gras three years later, and I just said, I have to free myself of <laughs> of this one incident before I go through this next chapter of Mardi Gras. And um, it was actually, um, I believe, like, Pitchfork or someone wrote something about Brandy. Um, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I know St. Heron had written something around the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just brought up a lot of emotions and shit got brewing and I got his phone number from someone and I called. And um, I just said, you know, last night I just got really pissed and it was the day before Mardi Gras. I needed to get it off my chest. I went to Twitter. It probably wasn't the best form, but I wanted to call and really explain to you what the deal was. And he immediately knew. He apologized. He felt very remorseful for using that terminology, but I still feel like there's a lot of fuzziness. Like a lot of people still don't really know. They didn't hear the podcast. So it felt, again, very reactive from a black woman, you know, rolling her neck and smacking her gums. Okay, real, real quick. Uh, this question of Supreme Woman Pandora, and we're talking with uh, our guest, Solange, about Twitter beefs. And uh, one in particular she had with a writer from New York Times. Can I catch Lai you up? Yeah. Do you know where you are in the story now? I know. I did not tell that very clearly. Okay. Okay. So basically. I don't. She expressed uh, well-justified uh, admiration and fandom for Brandy's work, mm. of which. I'm a mega stan. I guess. Always on my mind. I guess Megastan. Bill and I can also agree to this. You look at me like I pulled you in this. Agree to what? About, about Randy being the shit? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I think everyone can agree right. on that. Um, album. So, as a, especially her debut record. I mean, just yes. in general, but this her debut record day. was probably one of the. Probably a, a very pleasant surprise in its, in its artistry. And, you know, oftentimes black music uh, is so cut and paste and, and quick money and here's the hit and here's the follow up hit and. It's disposable. But um, Brandy and her producers, uh, Keith Crouch and... Uh, Kipper Jones. Kipper Jones. Um, really made something that, that that was lasting and, you know, really amazing. And she expressed admiration for that. And I guess in kind of the way that we kind of dismissed Laia with her opinions, <laughs> just like... We do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You, look at her looking at you right now. I ain't here. Margaret, come down. I love you. I'm sorry. You're right. No. See, Margaret. Like, you know we love you, right? I do. I do. I'm sorry. I want to hear about this, though, because I want to I wanna not like this motherfucker. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> I want to not like this motherfucker. <laughs> well, I mean. Essentially, it became a joke. He threw some shade. It became. No, he didn't throw, he didn't well, throw yeah. some shade. Essentially, I expressed this, and it became a little bit of a joke between indie white bros um i expressed you know that as a music journalist that you shouldn't even feel qualified which i still stand by to write about r&b music unless you really understand brandy's influence Mm. on the culture of r&b music when you're writing about frank ocean and the innovation of 
black artists today, she needs to be a part of that conversation because she is valued in that way. And essentially, it became a hashtag primarily by white music journalists who write, wrote for indie blogs and magazines. And they turned it into a hashtag, Deep Brandy Album Cuts. And it became like some a sarcasm. joke. Yeah, some joke. Right. Yeah. And so New York Times reached out to me. They said they were doing a podcast about cultural tourism. Apparently, around the same time, there was a lot of resistance from black hip-hop writers who had problems with the way that a Chief Keef review was written about. So they were having this podcast about cultural tourism, invited me on. I declined. I did not see any incentive for me to go and have a debate with two white men about cultural tourism. Just didn't (laughs) make sense. Um, So I was not present and they brought up me speaking about Brandy and the little hashtag. And essentially he said um, that he was a fan of mine, that he went to my show and made him feel good and fuzzy inside. But let's be clear that there would not be a Solange album if the, if it weren't for Grizzly Bear. And where and, the hell you get that from? Right. <laughs> um, and like you don't even know who they are. So it's oh, right. that, I thought we were using code language. No, no, really no this is a real no, band. This is a real <laughs> band. Bears who are actually dear friends of mine. Oh. And I put out that record on one of their labels. What's the name of that label? I love the label. Uh, Terrible. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Wait, so like, like, like True was on that? You said like yes. True? Okay, okay. True was on Terrible. to him, he did not know the general landscape of my album. He didn't know that Hadley Street outsold True five, six times over. But what he was saying was that because that was a primarily black audience who bought that and True was a primarily white audience, that my relevancy rested in that. That it and didn't that matter. his didn't world... Matter. And his friends and his bros knew about me and valued me in that way. And he actually ended off that statement by saying, does she know who buys her records? And if I were her, I would not bite the hand that feeds me. He's trying, he to, say the, trying to say, don't piss all the white people. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the pen was mightier than the sort. Yeah, and then he named on his Twitter the podcast like his introduction to the podcast was called Does Solange Know Who's Buying Her Records? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, this is times where I feel like, it, like that was one of the instances where I, I really feel like um, it should kind of go back to the days of like, you know, when Chio Coca got knocked out by... Master Killer. Master Killer. Yeah, like where journalists were really... You know, held accountable. Held accountable. Yeah. And by held accountable, I mean oh, slapped the shit I out of I had them. a lot of I had a lot of black held men that I have to say came hard. Like, if you want me to just, <laughs> you know, there was definitely a lot of conversations like, like that. But ultimately, and I actually on "Don't You Wait" on my album, I say, bite the I don't want to bite the hand I that has me my whole life. But I didn't want to build the land that has fed you your whole life. Ooh, I know that is. Cool. So I wanted to ask you about that one. <laughs> I said my piece, but I think I think ultimately that was just um, the emotional turmoil and taxing that goes on and being silenced and me feeling like there's no way that I can actually break this down 
and him still be held accountable at the level that he deserves to be held accountable because that's just the way that things work. And that is the alliances that this industry has created to protect people to be able to say this. And then one day I just had enough and I went on Twitter before Mardi Gras was like, <laughs> it's been three years and I've been wanting to tell you, don't you ever tell a black woman not to bite the hair. My mama was so mad, she wouldn't let it go because someone told her baby don't bite the hand that feeds right. you. And the racial connotations of that is really deep. And I, I had to hold him accountable for that. I'm sure he is a nice guy and I'm sure he's learned a lot mm-hmm. through this incident. And he told me, you know, he, he had people calling him that were really disappointed. And, and I felt validation in that. I felt like we have to be held accountable. I surely have been held accountable mm-hmm. for my fuck shit. So you have to too. And it sucks when that has to be public, but you know, the incident was made public when you decided to say that on record. And we're learning what not to say in these days and age. Like, yeah. I think we're really on track to learn as Absolutely. far as culturally. So. Well, yeah. I thank you for that because uh, especially the way that I've publicly have declared my life uh, in, a, in a way that's like it's, it's so in-depth to music critics and how I acknowledge that they have their hands on the guillotine button and any moment they can make or break my life. They once did this to Donald Glover with a very mean-spirited, uh, like, one... I think Pitchfork gave him, like, a one. Not quite. No, no, no. This, oh. this uh, his One of his records got a one. It was just like wow, a mean-spirited, we can... Wow. You know, like, if you get a one, that's like... I mean, to put it in perspective, like uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and, Andrew Ridgely from Wham got a half from Rolling <laughs> Stone. <laughs> like they didn't review it; they just wanted to be mean fucks about it and and do that. Um, but don't y'all know nobody remembers pic- the critics' names; they remember y'all. And so here you are; you have one well, mouth, of course. The, just in general, since since the onslaught, what I call pitchfork culture, which is yeah, often, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Often, oh, I do uh, too. I do too. It's it it's it sucks when it feels like it is a modern day good old boys club. Well, can I ask? Because on the other side of that coin, one of the best, most eloquent reviews of your album ironically also came from Pitchwork, which I was shocked at the level of all the right things that were said now i you know i've known that since since 2004 they've really diversified absolutely i'm I'm happy i'm happy about the work that they've done and and this is this is the thing about that situation that happened i felt like there was a spin on that story in that i was like somehow unhappy or being bratty about the way that they were talking about me i i have you know always had great reviews from my albums in general I feel which I've been you know really happy about but I do feel like there were certain narratives coming out of that brand of um 
indie music blogs in general during that time and people have held them accountable and I've seen the changes and I've seen the transformations and I'm happy that's all you can ask for is when you can about some shit and you uphold people to that responsibility that they're willing to make the changes that people are asking for and I've seen that and I, I've respected it I'm just lot. saying I'm glad you did that because oftentimes I feel like journalists can also be as petty as oh, they yeah, want to be for sure. and then but you like alright wait till the next record comes out uh, really, yeah. <laughs> and you know I mean for those that are, are in the dark um I guess a lot of my disdain for some of the well, first of all, I mean the internet just gives anybody the right to be super journalists if they want to be. Um, but I often noticed that uh, there was there was a period in which uh, I guess they that they were trying to determine what was authentically black absolutely and, and that's not where absolutely. really and what was pretentious yeah like yeah. so there was a period fucked up <laughs> there was a period where like there's there's a really glowing review of hell have no fury mm-hmm. um the clips, clips, clips. Sec- second album which that, was a dope album which oh was dope, it was amazing yeah it was amazing really clear. and like the internet blogger bible yeah <laughs> Swear God, they went so fucking crazy over that record. Yeah, yeah. it was like, but at the level of of eloquence and beauty, like the the review, the pitchwork review of Hell Have No Fury was almost as as incredible as the album itself. <laughs> but then it left me questioning because I knew why I love the record, but to just see the levels of yeah. salivating, oh my god, you yeah. know, it's like it was, watching noise. Yeah. But it was well, it was like looking at porn. No, it's like watching Noisy on Vice Land. It's like, wait, are you never? You laughing with me or you laughing at me? It's it's kind of right. like I that. You gotta right. watch it. It's yeah, but yeah. Right, and so that's the I'm thing. I'm so like, happy though that that's like deading. It feels like it is. You think Maybe so? Maybe I'm being optimistic, but I remember it was like during that time. Where I went on all of the profiles of people who were hashtagging that thing. Oh hell yeah, I was. And I, <laughs> Yo, and I, I saw love you every, so much right now. every single one of them had a profile picture of, of like something ratchet of something ratchet and that they would never subscribe to never. in real life. I was like, let somebody drop your ass off in that part of Chicago Yo. and take a field trip for the day and see how that goes for you. Yeah. Since we want to talk about cultural tourism, like, Talk. you know, so, but I do feel like, I feel like we're moving away from that. No. Well, no, it's maybe, <laughs> no, okay. No. I could be wrong. I, I or maybe I just stopped giving a fuck. But, <laughs> I think that's what it is. But I think, I think honestly, when it comes to you know reviews and things like that, like you can't give that energy in that way because I just feel like in two thousand eight, during the Hadley Street shows and the aftermath of shows and meeting black girls who said some of the most profound, powerful things that I felt like I had to then live up to, you know, after the shows. Those are the reviews for me. Those are the Mm -hmm. moments. And even with this album, you know, it's been really important to me that I, I honor those moments, you know. This is so wonderful that my music is being able to reach as many people as it is and the dialogue of like, oh, this is 
the, your best work and it is definitely an elevation of my work but I feel proud of all of my work and I feel really proud of the connectivity and the the black girls that have been at my shows since I was 21 who are still mm -hmm. there and are still connecting like those are my reviews those are sacred moments of being in Paris and black girls telling me like we we're never told that we can wear our makeup blue and crazy lipstick like this and it be allowed and it be yeah. like, those are my reviews, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. There's nothing that can feel better to me than that because I was that girl. I was that girl when Reese and Khalees and all of these girls were coming out and I saw people, how I saw myself and what that did for my confidence and my self-worth. That was everything to me. So... The reviews are nice, but that's what I thrive off of. That's what makes me get back in the lab. Like, okay, I got to write some shit to honor that. And if you feel the connection to it and you write something glowing, that's beautiful. But what you won't do is disrespect my heroes. I feel very, very, very protective of my heroes, whoever that might be. And I feel like still to this day that... Like, full moon for me, like, that's such an experimental, weird-ass, avant-garde, progressive <laughs> record. Uh, and and going further than half of the shit that yeah. you're writing about and saying is so innovative. I mean, the sounds and the landscapes that they created with that album. So you just aren't going to leave people out of this context, you know? Yeah. Like, even for my record, like... Tweet is my vocal Bible. Like, you're not going to leave these people out of the context that all of us are actually building and inspired by. And that's the part of that culture that I don't have respect for, is the pet favorites of the moment without honoring the work and the influence behind them. How did Brandy receive all your fighting and all the <laughs> She's probably like, this is really a lot. <laughs> Three Security. years later. Security. <laughs> no, she actually, you know, publicly said she really appreciated it and it made her feel really good. And, you know, it, she she said some really kind things. But one more time, it could get weird. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So Solange, what, how eclectic has your record collection always been? Uh, actually, actually, okay. This, is this there weird... like a cool way to answer that? <laughs> no, no, okay, well, growing up, all right, let's take it to the, the late eighties, early nineties. When you're no, when you're younger. Yes. What does the Knowles family record collection look like? Like if you're taking family trips somewhere, right. like who controls the radio? So okay, so you have to understand that Kelly from Destiny's Child um is like a sister to me. Mm-hmm. She moved in with us when I was five. So as far as I have memory, she was there. And then we have my cousin Angie, who's also like a sister to me. She's still trying to play guitar? She is. She is. She's doing really good. Okay. Angie moved in when I was 10. So as far as I can remember, I have four sisters. Mm -hmm. And then my mom. So my dad was outnumbered by women. It was a (laughs) five-woman household. Um, So... The really cool thing um, about that is that all three of my sisters had very different musical tastes. Um, Kelly was very much so into alternative music. She listened to a lot of Fiona Apple and Alanis Morissette. Um, my sister actually listened to a lot of Mariah Carey. And then when she got older, she listened to a lot of soul music. Aretha, Shuggy, she's the one who put put me up on all of that stuff. And then Angie listened to a lot of hip-hop, a lot of Tupac, Lil' Kim, <laughs> Too Short, a lot of Houston shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the experience to grow up around so many different types of music between my older sisters. And then my parents were just all about Earth, Wind & Fire, Isley Brothers, My mom owned a hair salon, so they had, like, a stack of CDs that she would play, you know, throughout the day at the hair salon. And I actually used to play the records when I would get home from school, but it was only, like, 12 Earth, Wind & Fire records I could choose (laughs) out of or Isley Mm -hmm. Brothers. Um, That was, like, the two favorites. My parents, though, actually met arguing over records my music yep my Mm -hmm. my dad was like kind of a man around town and he had his um apartment and 
he had all these like parties there that people knew about. And my mom went with her friend mm-hmm. and he was an extensive vinyl collector, like hardcore, don't touch my records type of guy. And my mom started flipping through his records mm. and he walked over to her and the first words of them ever meeting was him saying, don't touch my records. <laughs> and she don't was like, don't nobody care about don't your little records. <laughs> yes. So they had like a little argument actually. Um, and then I guess it turned into flirting. Um, but okay, touch my records. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean... I I grew up, I would say primarily like soul music was at the forefront, but through the influences of my sisters, I heard a little bit of everything. And then when I became about 13, um, I started dancing for Destiny's Child and I went on the road with them and we spent a lot of time in Europe. And as you know, over there, the radio formats were extremely different. So I'd be in London you know, for two weeks and here in York and Chemical Brothers and all of this shit on the radio. And I would go back to, actually, I was 11. Um, it was before I started dancing for them because I remember going back to my junior high school and playing Bjork records. My friends like, I don't know what the fuck <laughs> y'all doing over there, but we don't really dig this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went through like a serious downbeat electronic middle school oh, wow. moment where it was just like all boards of Canada, Thievery Corps, <laughs> oh, 07, yes. Zero all of that. Um, Wards of Canada. Wow. And so I kind of went into that landscape. And then I would say really like the thriving moment of my musicality in terms of, you know, just collective music was around 13. Um, that was like, you know, obviously around the time that the Soul Aquarians came onto the scene and I, mm. for the first time, felt a connection outside of the music, but more so just culturally of people who I felt like I could identify myself <laughs> with. I'm being Wait, honest. No, 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 no. I'm and not you just let... laughed at me. No, no, no. What an asshole. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, it wasn't that. I'm not. I don't know if I want to tell this story now because you just said something and it triggered off. Do you not remember Sacramento? All right, so we're in Sacramento. (laughs) The Voodoo Tour is in Sacramento, but for some reason, uh, one of those like uh, power jams or whatever, you know, like the yeah, like the super jam, with all everybody. Yeah, that is also supposed to be the same night, but for some strange reason. They decided to mix both nights. So this is one of the rare times in which D'Angelo's Voodoo Tour is also sharing a bill with Destiny's Child. Oh, wow. Mm. So the whole point was that you said all these things, and it reminded me (laughs) of the time that you're not aware of. All right, so Devil's Pie is the first song that's performed. Here's the thing. If D'Angelo knows that someone notable is watching him perform, that could be a good thing, a la seeing Shaka Khan backstage Mm -hmm. and him really being in rare form. Or that could be a bad thing, a la Destiny's Child in the corner watching him. Now, there was a slew 
of women there. So I'm assuming that you're also in this, or you don't have a recollection of the story. Anyway, my point was that <laughs> in Dee's excitement of this moment, uh, and he was very big on the James Brown moves and all that stuff, okay. there's a point in Devil's Pie where he runs across the stage and he slides to the microphone right before we get to that whole all a lie, mm-hmm. all a lie. But there was a nail. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. <laughs> Wait, I didn't even get to the punchline yet. There was a nail slightly sticking uh, out the stage, and he had on like very thin leather pants. <laughs> so, did he have a Lenny Kravitz it was moment? Was a slice of the devil's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the point was that I I was noticing that wow, he's really singing the shit out of this song like his life depends on it. And then when I looked to the left, I was like, oh god, he's showing off. And the thing was. When he slid, and imagine like sliding the home plate, he just basically sliced his entire side of his pants off. So, I mean, he wasn't naked. It was just that when she mentioned Voodoo and Soul Quarians, it just triggered, wait a minute, we did a show together, and D'Angelo not only split his pants. You deflecting from compliments. That's what you did. And almost got tetanus. Great story, Amir ruins another moment. (laughs) Thank you for the compliment, Solange. No, I I wasn't. Okay, maybe I was psychologically deflecting the compliment, but maybe. What is it like to have Amir and Raphael Sadiq? That's interesting on this last album. Like, can you explain everyone on this record? A lot of these songs, I actually just wrote like sketches of to the piano, like Rise. Mm -hmm. When Amir came, I had already sketched it out on my little struggle piano chords (laughs) and um it is a very vulnerable thing to like share that with someone in hopes to build it into something tangible and um yeah amir and and ray angry came over one night Mm -hmm. and i just like you know kept playing it and singing it on the piano and they started to build soundscapes. So a lot of of these sessions happen like that. Um, in the case of Raphael, who is just so, so wonderful, um, I had actually thought that the album was pretty much done and I went to New Iberia, a little town, um, maybe two hours north of New Orleans to, you know, finish writing the album. And I actually produced a great deal of it there as well. And I had a lot of program sounds um, that I was working with. And towards the end, I felt like in order for the album to punch in that way that I wanted to replace a lot of my digital sounds and replaced the synths with piano and live bass and live drums. And I actually took it to quite a few different people. Um, And I won't name them, although I want to. Um, (laughs) but, But Raphael was actually the person that I played it for and immediately had the chemistry that A, I was going to have someone who really respected my vision and really respected my voice. And I think as a songwriter and a producer, as a woman, 
I've been very, very sensitive about um, my role in my art and how a lot of times when you invite that space open for men, that it's just the nature of the beast that they get a lot of credit for that. Um, and I felt like Raphael, I knew that I was in good hands and I knew that he would respect my vision and just be there to elevate it. And that he did. And he did such a phenomenal job of translating these sounds and making them that much richer and making them, you know, cut through his bass lines, just cut through so um, emotionally and they're like just like a direct connection of God's base I feel like <laughs> you wow. know um, is that Andre on uh, Junie it Jump is on it, it okay. is yeah. so yeah essentially the album went in three parts mm-hmm. I had the preliminary writing just sh- concepts that I sketched out um, to piano. Then I had jam sessions with a number of people, Samfa being one of them, um, uh, Dave Longstreet being one of them. Um, Amazing Dave from uh, 30 Projectors. Yes, um, whose drum sounds are incredible. And um, so, yeah, I kind of like assorted all of these people from all different worlds into a space and for a few weeks we just jammed and um I essentially took those jam sessions lots of them an hour long and produced them into four minute songs and then I went and wrote and filled in all of my lyrics and melodies to those and then I took it to Raphael and we, you know, elevated a lot of those sounds. So it went in three different parts, but it was just really just such an honor to have everyone who worked on the project um, in the spirit of collaboration just have those experiences where we could just let it go in the music. It must be dope to have them all believe in your vision too. Yes, it does. And to trust me with yeah. it. And um and again, because it was such a male oriented set of musicians and producers also having the utmost respect and, you know, being clear that I was leading the process. Yeah. And I think that that was something in the past, especially starting off as a little, I, I feel like I'm like a little writer baby. Like I got, I signed my publishing deal when I was 15 yeah. and I would be in sessions, you know, every day in LA, I would go there for a week. And a lot of people don't know how those things work, but they're very tedious. And a lot of times you just feel really vulnerable. You just meet a producer and then it's just like, write a song. Um, or I would go to Miami, like Circle House Studios, and it'd be like a bad boy writing camp. And you're just there with like 20 producers. And as a young girl, navigating that world with primarily male producers Energy. and leading that, a lot of times I would have to fight for my voice to be heard. 
um, outside of just like, here's the song. And so this was a really special environment to create that because I do think it's important to note that though the album is overall the expression of the Black plight and our social issues is written through the lens of a Black woman. And naturally, that's going to resonate with Black women in a very specific way. Um, So I think having that male energy just in terms of being in the space really translates on the production. I know a lot of Niggas are like, them beats is hard, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so. No, your record is like the modern day equivalent of like My Life by Mary J. Blige. Like it is oh, like what my damn, life very good right? comparison. Big it shoes. is. Because it was just one of those records that, I mean, as a man, I mean, I liked the record. I was like, okay, yeah, this is dope. But like women, like, it's so crazy though. Men Did are you go really, on Twitter the night it came really, out? Really, really like every day. It's gaining I've been on them. It's gaining men, on them. Yeah. Like, Blasting cranes like it's got bars on it. <laughs> so that's been like really phenomenal. Definitely can't deny that baseline. <laughs> can't deny that Ray bass, man. So yeah, it was it was awesome. We didn't even get a chance to talk yet about like the visuals that went like cranes and oh. don't touch my hair and what you and Alan came together to do. And, and then I read the whole cinematographer from Daughters of the Dust. Like that's Julie Dash. How am I, Julie? Not Julie Dash, but the cinematographer. Oh, Julie was yeah. the Julie's director. The director Sorry. of that, yeah. but you just got a lot of energy between the images and then the choreography. Thank you. That's a lot. Thank you. Wow. I have to say that. Honestly, creating these visuals with Alan was such a phenomenal experience. And I don't think that anyone else could have translated the way that I see the world better than him. And he put his motherfucking foot and back and elbow and everything into that. Yes. And there was a journey. You know, we we, um, started off with the AJs and all of, you know, the crew of 25 when we first embarked on the the journey of this video, but we actually ended it just the two of us. Mm. So most of what you see in Crane specifically was actually shot by Alan, holding the camera himself, hiking up mountains, crossing rivers, and doing that, you know, through love. So what was y'all like, like, did you guys sit down and say, let's pick out some images of direction that we're going? Like, what was Mm -hmm. the inspiration? So I knew that I wanted to, again, you know, really have a meditation and a reflection of the way that I see Blackness in this super regal, ornate, stately way, but also encompass just the vulnerability and the texture and the nuances, especially of the Black woman um, and the solidarity between us and the sisterhood, um, especially for Cranes, because I feel like so much of those things that I'm trying to work out through the song, like Black women, I can identify so closely to that. So it was really about me like emotionally mood boarding first. And then I just started looking up all these locations um, that either felt like very regal or almost in this like Grecian way, but wanting to see black people presented in that way. Um, And then for Cranes, 
I essentially wanted to create this meditation of like moving through all of these spaces, still trying to work this shit out. And that literally took us from New Orleans to Houston, to Lubbock, to Austin, to Big Bend National Park, to Santa Fe, to White Sands, New Mexico, um, to get all of those landscapes. And yeah, like I basically mood boarded all of that. I shared it with Alan. I said, this is my vision. How can we do this? And he just went to the trenches, like and mapped out all of the ways that we could do that and assembled a team that he felt could put forth that. But I have to say, like we started off with a crew of about 22 people mm-hmm. and we went from and we were in two RVs and we went from all those cities that I said and and towards the end of it everyone was so burnt out tired frustrated hungry sleepy it's like apocalypse yeah <laughs> right but they all went home and Alan being the director that he is said there's still so much of this that we don't have there's still so many pieces of this storytelling that we did not complete and he went to Enterprise and rented a van. And we did the trip all over again from Scratch. New Orleans to New Mexico wow. in a wow. van with just him and I and four other people. And he actually DP'd the shoot. Um, he directed, DP'd, <laughs> catered. <Yeah. laughs> and I think that... The Who beautiful controlled the radio thing. in the car? No, I'm playing. <laughs> I definitely did that. The whole 23-hour drive. Um, but I have to say that I had so many reservations. We've been together eight years. Amir has been there like from the time I met him um, until now. And I've always been a fan of his work. Likewise, he's always been a fan of mine. But we've never bridged that gap creatively because I was so scared that it would fuck shit up. And it made it better. It, it sexier. made it better. It, it made the art itself. I feel like you see and experience so much love and magic when you're watching those. And I think that was really through the lens of what we put into it together. And again, like you're with someone, you see the way that they see the world. And we that scene in Don't Touch My Hair at the very end when we're all on the steps and I'm dancing. Yes, the white like, in the yeah. night, yes. Like that scene specifically, I remember um, trying to coordinate this ripple because I did all of the choreography and all of the videos with like a hundred people who weren't dancers. Like, and now we're going to do this and then you do this. I was wondering who all those people were. I'm like, are those Solange's friends? (laughs) (laughs) Y'all look like they're in the same tribe. (laughs) No, those, those were just New Orleans magical people. But, um, we spent so much time trying to like coordinate all of this dance stuff that we were losing light. And, um, everybody on set was saying, it's too dark, we can't shoot it, we're going to have to reshoot it. And Alan saying, the right, the light just got right. Mm-hmm. Like, the darkness, the, the orange perfect. glaze is yeah. what we need. This doesn't need sunlight. Mm-hmm. It's not bright. It's not cheery. This is the mood. So it's, it was just things like that that I really, really appreciated. 
you know, not having to explain myself. That like, choreography. Oh, uh, thank you. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know what you call it. It's in between modern dance and I don't even know, especially what you did on Saturday Night Live. It, what do you, what was, what influences that? I don't mean to be, get all girls on y'all no. girl deep, but. This the, is all you. I'm I sorry, do. but the choreography is kind of amazing. Thank you and it's so not, much. It's evolved because that's not where you first started. So. Yeah. I think I've had such an interesting relationship with dance being that I actually thought that I was going to be a modern dancer growing up. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to go to Juilliard. And then when I started to dance for Destiny's Child, I was doing hip-hop, but I was looking absolutely crazy up there. (laughs) Like, that was just not the way that my body language really spoke. But I was trying. And I think maybe, like, really, like, Six years ago, as my son got older, as I got more confident in who I was and who I was becoming, I was just like, fuck it. This is actually how I move. This is when I'm at home. This is actually how I communicate. And I remember even through True, like when I started really expressing myself in that way, people being like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah, now, yeah. Town, yeah. now I feel like people are like, okay, that's just what it is. But I didn't think people would question that though, because. Oh yeah. People are mm-hmm. like, really? That y'all was freaky. I was like, what's she doing? People I like it. But it's well, people out. still question not, I mean, no, I think now do you mean like cousins and friends are like, no, I meant like, you know, just people reacting to the visuals online and stuff. Oh, but I just, but I think that consistency is so key. And like now that it's just like, no, this is just the way I move and, and sharing it. It's, it's really cool doing it with the band because like, you know, two of the dudes are like, Angus from New Orleans. Oh, they they like, it last night. got me doing over yeah, here. Yeah, but, they do, they yeah. but everybody has just been so did you find gracious them, like, and trusting. So I actually um, enlisted PJ Harvey. Um, oh, wow. To, to help son. me find yeah. musicians in New Orleans. And he, um, yeah. he auditioned a bunch of kids from Loyola and Dillard and just New Orleans based musicians. And uh, I came in at the end and we did like chemistry tests. And then it was like, well, can you dance? And everybody was like, well, like what? (laughs) So um, I showed them some moves and that actually eliminated like (laughs) 80% 80 of the people. (laughs) But... um, it's such a strong part of the of how I like envision the show. That well, you, uh, matter of fact, I've not seen a show where your band your band kind of puts us to shame because you know, like the the time be doing like the yeah, little yeah. groove shit. Uh-huh. I definitely am influenced when I saw the by picnic the time. when she when she uh, did the Roots picnic like two or three years ago. They was jamming on stage and Rick was like, "Damn." We don't got no choreography like that. <laughs> I will, oh, my God. I want to do it more for other people. So Ooh, get, get Dame on it. Want, if you want some Yeah, I'll be hiring moves, you. I will graciously, <laughs> no, you, you, graciously do that. Please, you, it brings please, me please, so much joy. Please do that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Dame, Frank, and Mark all day. Because Amir like to throw the young ones up and make them work. How are you going to deal with this presentation live? 
because man, I'm still working. I can only that see out. this album from beginning to end. I see it as a suite, and I don't see it in concert. I see it. I love that you thought you were like texting me that as if I was not already working. Thinking about on that. that, it's already in the works. It wasn't me. that. It's just that <laughs> the album had moved certain people so much that they wanted to be a part of history. Even when I called you to cr- congratulate you on the record, I forgot I was on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you did. I was waiting for you to tell us, but I was like, you freak did. it out. No, and she got mad at me because like I didn't. It was a was Meek like, Mill Drake thing going proud. on. Like, yo, why didn't you Instagram about it? <laughs> I forgot I was on it. The I first song. <laughs> <laughs> and those drums are so popping. No, but I, you know, I was just, I was so amazed by the record. I for, totally forgot that. I thought she took me off the record. And, you know, oh, wow. I. And it sounded well, different. It was not, mixed. It was mixed different. Everybody. Well, no, it was mixed so different that I couldn't tell that that it was, was me. you. I got you. Yeah, and that's the thing. I just thought, oh, okay. Well, yeah, you should. I have fun with those drums. I I have fun like mixing and EQing and panning and all of that. But I I remember that day so so well because that was the first time that I had shared my sketches with anyone. And I remember being really, really scared of adding drums on it. And you were like, come on, son. Like, I'm going to keep it sparse and go in. And I was like, of course you are. But it was still a lot of trust. I was scared, too, (laughs) because I sometimes call you the queen of no. So (laughs) It's true. I've been known to say no. (laughs) Thank God not this time. No. It came out phenomenal. I'm so gracious. So I don't know. Like I don't I don't want to name any names of of people, but the way that I see this presentation, like it's almost as if I wish you were and I feel like you will be or you could already be in a position where you could present this on a unnamed artist with the letter K in his name, like what he would do to his show. Mm-hmm. Floating stages? Yeah. In a very- oh, okay. Because <laughs> you just saw the artist right. with the letter K. Oh, Kanye. I know this show is not going to be a normal presentation. Yeah. So I'm excited. I've been developing some ideas for the last. A couple weeks and even through the SNL performance, like visualizing how that would carry out. And I'm really excited. Um, I think that um, it's important for me to, one of the reasons like I went to Stanford and and had the talk is because I wanted to ground the work in conversation. Mm-hmm. And Melissa Harris Perry. Oh, she's yeah. so popping. She's so popping. Is she popping. still in New Orleans? No, she's oh, not. She's not. Okay. No. Um, but I want to be able to have that conversation really closely. And so even things like performing the album on a ground level where I'm able to be on the same physical level as people and look them Instead in their of eyes. Of yeah. Looking down. Yeah. I'm really excited about working out how I can do that. But it's it's a lot of logistics. I've been working on it. But of course when, you know, you're trying to present something in that way and work with other venues and vendors and promoters and all of that, that stuff 
gets very complicated, but I'm working through it and I'm yeah. really, really excited. I just I just think that I have to um the songs are so emotionally charged and again they feel so insular and in that even a lot of people have shared with me that they primarily listen to the album alone and that mm. they feel kind of weird playing it in group settings. Um, I feel the same way performing it. And SNL was a big wake-up call for me because I was emotionally charged in a way that I had never been performing before. Like, my voice was shaking because of the words that I was saying and all of the things that were encompassing that in that moment and who it was reaching and how it was reaching people who voted for Trump. <laughs> and, um, you know, just saying, don't touch my hair, don't touch my pride. Like, I have to hone in how emotionally I'm going to perform that without shaking <laughs> because <laughs> it's so fresh and it's so raw that I also have, like, you know, the challenge of most of this stuff is intentionally falsetto and sweet and like Minnie Riperton and Sarita Wright were huge influences in terms of vocal presentation for this. But that takes a great amount of air yeah. and control and stillness. But I'm saying things that are strong, are strong yeah. and aggressive. No, but that's, that's, so, that's an awesome uh, kind of contrast. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's intentional. It's intentional, but it's not easy to pull off live. And I feel like I have to have a great deal of meditation and like control to be able to do that because a lot of people don't understand like the nuances of having to say these. It's one thing to put them on the record and say, here you go. I'm going to allow you to have a seat at this table and share this with you. It's another to deliver that face forward and full on and feel that kind of exposure yeah Yeah. i don't know i'm just having brainstorming moments right now and i feel like like bjork is someone that i've seen in concert a lot of times and all of her presentations are just like some next level yeah they are she's a huge influence she did one particular show in which she chose like a church in harlem oh wow and gathered the audience stood in a circle Mm-hmm. And she just sang everything a cappella. She just walked in the middle and just sang everything a cappella. No music, no nothing. Just a very intimate, her walking, no amplification, no microphone. But everyone attending that show still maintains that, that was like the most powerful yeah. music experience of their life. Like yeah. where you're going. I think that you have to really identify, or I guess I've had to really identify, you know what it is that I feel like I'm going to really, really connect to and feel gravity in in that moment. Like, I realize now that I've gotten, like, award show offers and all of those things, and I realize now that that's not my space. I'm not going to never say never. I'd be open to it. But that's not the space right now that I'm 
reaching to connect with. Like, so I, come February, if Ken Ehrlich's like, yo, <laughs> look, as long as you never say never, as long as you do black girls rock, you be all right. I don't think that that's where I feel like I thrive, and that could change, and I could work at it, but I. But you could write your own ticket. <laughs> I know. If she's not ready. Don't do that. I, don't she bring her to the do doctor. It, she doesn't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's that could evolve and that could change and I can feel differently. And that's the cool thing about having, you know, I guess not putting the kind of pressure on myself to say like if I do it and then basically I don't know. Like the the SNL experience was very I feel really happy that I did it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that it revealed a lot to me about in what space I want to present this album in live. And it's like even the, so the concept of any... FUBU is like, do yes. I want to perform that song at Bonnaroo? At Coachella, right. right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a lot that I'm like just working out as I go along and that's fine and it's okay. And I think as artists, we should be able to be allowed to do that and change our minds and work it out and figure out what works best for us and our storytelling. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> drop the mic. Can we drop a mic? Yeah. Drop the mic. <laughs> Sexual chocolate. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the most real Quest Love Supreme <laughs> yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. Definitely our blackest episode by far. Oh, <laughs> Matter of fact, man. we'll have Solange in the reflections. Uh, the I've learned, oh, yeah. I've learned that uh, that Master P, Percy Miller, it's such a soulful name, Percy, <laughs> right? Percy Miller, right. that Percy Miller uh, was a human being, and and I learned a lot about Matthew Knowles that I didn't know. Um. I learned that Tina Knowles uh, controls the music. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, Boss Bill. What? This this is my Serato DJ list. Uh-huh. Read the highlighted blue uh, playlist on, on the left. <laughs> this this is this is my only challenging this is a very serious I named my playlist after, you know, oh, it, it could be great. Saturday this night, it could be da 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 wedding. But that's called what? Tina Knowles gonna love me, Dak Nabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so what is in that playlist? What's in the Tina Knowles gonna love me playlist? Um, I've never had a client or an attendee at a Questlove DJ gig that put more pressure on me <laughs> than Tina Knowles. Seriously, I played for presidents and kings and whoever but yeah T tina Knowles is one of the hardest clients ever <laughs> so what does she so what does she like what's her what's her jams um okay and i'm assuming and, this is for her daughter's wedding well i will say right? though no, what's done, really funny uh, is done, like he played my my house party and i think that she felt like uh, he was playing stuff too safe she thought i was playing too to safe to cater to her and she oh, okay. was like no i want the people to get turned. The quote was, <laughs> do you know who my son is? 
at the time. She was <laughs> okay. Oh, because you wasn't playing her son. No, no, I was pre. Okay, in the beginning, he was just trying you, to play it real Solange, clean and real safe. Did you and not she was tell like, me? Did you not tell me to just be careful? Because all types of people are going to be in attendance. I did, but I don't know. I guess like sh- so I, I went to the I church didn't translate section. Oh, that wow. as like wow. yeah, she was like she when he says that she was like, "Do you know my son's language? You know that he yeah. says in his music like I'm not judgmental like yeah, yeah, like play the shit that's going to keep the, the party popping." But what she doesn't know is that in any party, I will play Benny Goodman. <laughs> oh that's true. And Little Wayne. Oh, well, yeah, no, I get course, it. But, of course. I was doing sh- the Quest Love thing, uh, the all inclusive. Yeah, yeah. And they was yeah. like, nah, bro, just cut to the chase and get to the. I've been trying to play Akineli for years. It just, it won't. It oh, it's just like play what you <laughs> gonna play. Like, yeah. my mama was in the kitchen, like, handing out pizzas. Yeah. She, <laughs> she was like, I cannot at- dance to this. Uh-uh. Yeah. She take pictures at Costco, bro. I think she can handle some customers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She I, real. I wasn't a whole Miss Tina real. I gotta say, Miss Tina, she she's a very funny woman. Uh the first time I met her was um it was an MTV taping or something. She was backstage cutting up with um Ed Lover. Just they were just cutting up like <laughs> I believe <laughs> it. Just going crazy. I believe and then it. I did a brief stint at Music World, um, your father's company. Okay. Um, you worked at Music World? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for like three months oh, wow. um, <laughs> the holiday party three um, months. we had it at some Chinese spot in the Chinese restaurant in the Lower East Side and your mother did karaoke Shut what was she saying? I can't, I, I can't remember what she sang oh. are you serious she did karaoke I think I, I think I might have pictures of that oh wow I might have pictures of that yes. I'm dying to know what actually, you, you were, actually, I want to say you were there early that night you and your sister were there earlier in the night and then you both left and then they brought out the karaoke machine and then it just went crazy oh, we it went crazy the yeah. after party oh wow no my mom is fun time yeah, she, she was there last night at the after party and um my sister left and my mom was like riding with her but I could tell she wanted to stay and get turned <laughs> so that's what I learned <laughs> Fontaine your turn Tina turn up nah man uh, what did, what have I learned um, gosh so much so to start uh, I learned that Solange is probably and I know you know you say you've heard it a lot but I mean like she's probably one of the most relatable i won't say regular because regular that signifies something that's like you know like ordinary so and you're and you're not ordinary uh but you are definitely one of the most relatable um people that i think that i've had that we've had on the show uh for me just hearing about your background and um as the as the mother of a son you know what i'm saying i have sons as well okay. and so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of common threads in your story and in a lot of the stuff that I go through as well. And uh, just to hear that from someone who people would consider, you know, oh, well, she's a celebrity and she's this, she's that. It just kind of shows just that common thread of being black in America. You're never, you can be on the Grammys and have a cousin in county jail. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's never, you you ain't but that far removed from the bottom. You know what I mean? 
So, uh, so yeah, man, I, I just, uh, you once, Laia, once referred to me as the male Solange. And what I an understand honor. that now he's referred to Solange as the female Solange. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, it makes sense now. We Y'all relate free. to each other. Yeah, very, very free. I try to be free. But, um, it's but, a goal for most of us. And I have a, a greater understanding about the record now. I never, I never looked at it. I never put it together when you were talking about, uh, you know, being a dedication to your mom and your dad, even though they're not together now, just being able for them to tell their stories and you uh, hearing that uh, now as an adult. I think that's something that really resonated with me. I think as a kid, you just see your parents as like these superhuman people. Mm-hmm. But then once you get older, you just see them as just people. Mm-hmm. You know, you just realize that they're flawed and they made mistakes and they did the best they could with whatever they had. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, yeah, man, uh, Solange, is, she, a, she a real chick, man. I, I fuck with Solange. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, yo. Unpaid bill. Yeah. What'd you learn today, man? Do y'all do this every time? Yeah, yeah we, we do. Yeah, we gotta reflect. It's not just like therapy. I'm telling you, it's like therapy. <laughs> every time I come on the show. Um, what, what did I learn? Uh, I learned two things. One, I still don't know why I'm on this show, but I think more and more, <laughs> more and more I learn every time we're here that like I, I think I'm here to learn a lot. <laughs> and I like that. And I think that I leave here every time being like, first of all, like, at least texting one friend of mine going, I still have no fucking idea why they invite me back. And two, like what I what I learned. And I think and the second thing is, is is talking about music. Like, I don't know, we talk about this sometime when when our we're artists, right? We write music and fucking whatever. And it sometimes becomes really business oriented. And so since Solange is here, we should talk about her. Uh I she, you seem like at your core such a fucking artist to me. And that's so very much and so. that's very much so. And yeah. so like with me, it's like I, I write I work on Sesame Street, I do all this shit, but I feel like I get confused sometimes about when it's a business and when it's not. And I always, I find myself more often than not being like, this is what has to be done right now. This is what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and neglecting the other side of it. And I don't think you ever do that. And I think that that's great. Done. Oh, thank you. Sugar Steve. Out. Thank you. Sugar Steve. Yes. What'd you learn, man? Yeah, what'd you learn, Steve? Um, I liked all the stuff you were saying about the the way that you feel about having a responsibility to the past. I mean, maybe your father had felt that way or a burden as you put, I'm not sure the yeah. phrase you put on it, but um, I liked all that. I'm a nostalgic person. I'm somewhat archival and historian inter, you know, uh, your recording engineer. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. all. So, Legendary Steve is one of the engineers of voodoo, by the way. I like your respect for the past and Thank you. making people respect, the influences of the of the artists we have now. Thank you. Randy, put some respect on the name. Yes. <laughs> Boss Bill. On the name. I was actually, I didn't, I don't want to say I learned something, but you definitely reinforced something that's kind of been on my on my head for, for a while um, with the whole, you know, you sat and talked with your parents for a long time and asked them to tell you stories. And that's something I've really wanted to do for a very long time and just haven't had the opportunity to do. My parents are getting up there in the age I don't know how much longer I'm going to have to do it. So, you know, I need to hurry up and do it. So thank you for, like for, that. Oh, man. for that reinforcement. That, that means everything. That episode of Master of None where. Oh, yeah. where he yeah. talked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that was a good episode. Yeah. So, Laia, hmm. Margaret, oh. 
You really need That's to be That's my first name. Right like, here. here's okay. my middle name. I don't All want right. you to think that I just have an attribute, okay? I, I wonder what we I know, kept going weird. with Margaret. Margaret. Okay. Margaret's my first name. Okay. Um, Can you please tell us? I don't have a... What you learned today. To be honest, Mr. Love, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't really learned much because I know a lot about Solange. And um, also, I would say, not take that back because that sounds like I didn't learn shit. That's not true. (laughs) I learned a lot of shit. (laughs) And she just reinforced to, I think, me and the rest of the sisters that are listening that she is our sister in our head. Um, I pray, I pray that you stay where you are on that whole, I can't perform these songs everywhere. I have to figure out that space. And... Because Solange, you don't, you can, you can really do whatever the fuck you want to do. Uh, I do hope that you show up at the Grammys to get your award, but that don't mean <laughs> that you got to sing. You understand what I'm saying? And but do figure out a way to, to perform for us by us because they need to know. Yeah. Um, and I would just say that I've learned that you are super dope. We already knew. Thank you. That Thank means you. the world to me. Well, since you work here now, Solange, you got to round it out. <laughs> okay. What did you learn? What did you learn, Solange? <laughs> oh God! Wow. Don't make it all uh, about me. That is- <laughs> Don't focus on it. Okay. Okay. He's insecure. Just spread the spread the love. Okay. Um, <laughs> I learned well, that you had a lot of patience because I know that you'd us. rather be sleeping right now. And- no, I'm really, really happy to be here. And, and to be quite honest, I learned that there are safe spaces um, for storytelling, and I'm so happy that you guys created this platform to to have that safe space and I've been really really protective about how to speak about this album because I feel like it's so explicitly spelled out on the album that it almost feels like do I need to talk about it but this was such a such a great start and you guys are all so kind and funny and charming and nerdy and everybody turn around um, Wait, let me tell you about this time I split my pants in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I also learned that Amir cannot take a compliment. Uh, nope. Um, he needs no. to work on that. Whatever. I learned that I sat next to the man that I had Twitter beef with. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that, that I real. sat next to someone who actually used to work with my family and saw my mom do karaoke. <laughs> this is the ultimate fan stalking. <laughs> no, uh, no. This was really awesome. It was really good therapy from like the come down of last night. I I woke up being really hard on myself and feeling actually kind of bummed and sad. Really? Yeah. I do that. You brought way too much joy to be feeling like that. You have to remind yourself. I'm <laughs> I so don't. serious. You have to remind yourself sometimes. Y'all artists do that. He does that too. I know. Step out of yourself. Know what I you're know. bringing people because it's selfish to not do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's true. It's true. So this was such a great like closing to to that. Thank you guys for that. We thank you, Solange Knowles. Solange Knowles, ladies and gentlemen. Strong Jay. Yeah, Strong Jay. One boss. On behalf of... uh, (laughs) On behalf of Ponticolo, Laia, and Unpaid Bill, and Boss Bill, and Sugar Steve, this is Questlove Supreme, only on Pent... Well, let me. We got to do it. I didn't sign off. I didn't sign off. All right. <laughs> so when Steve, when Steve stopped working at Electric Lady Studios, where we are right now, where we are right now, yes, he relocated to Philadelphia. 
Um, wait, wait, can I just be Sugar Steve, like the cool version of Sugar, <laughs> yeah, instead of the sugar bad version of Sugar? No, this showing that you're sacrificing your life for brothers and <laughs> sisters <laughs> out there. You are Sugar. That's it. Steve, no. This is the best part of your thing. Uh, this yeah. is your thing. Yeah. This, this is the yeah. It's back. funny back. every time. You thought it was some sexy shit. <laughs> I was definitely. He did kind of desexualize you. He did. Where are we going with this? I like to keep it just Sugar Steve in the Okay, all right, all it's right. unanimous. No, it's not. We'll, we'll tell you all. All, okay. all in this room that the truth, raise your hands. <laughs> Damn, even, even, Scotty even, Yayo. even, 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 in my mind record and for those three weeks steve basically adjusted his diet to my diet um or lack thereof i was just about to say well what the fuck was you chomping <laughs> damn no one nags like solange does <laughs> anyway at the end of the day at at the end of the record steve wound up getting the sugars and is now has diabetes. You still Yo, have it, Steve? No way. The levels, the level of Solange's eyeballs. <laughs> no. Yeah. no. Is this all those true? Those songs were about lollipops and ice cream sundaes. <laughs> so. No creamsicle. way. Creamsicle. I'm, now I'm getting confused. Did you really get? Yeah, yeah. he likes. To, he actually likes to take responsibility for this for some reason. But yeah, I, I do have. White that. people don't get diabetes they on that don't. level, man. Yeah. I had a pretty and we, piss poor diet my whole life. It wasn't. <laughs> Starting in Philly, but it, so, it, 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 it culminated. It didn't help. There, there was a soul food Philly was the down the block finale. from my studio, so thus we ate there every night. Oh, shit. It's like some yeah. recurring theme on the show for some reason. Damn. Well, there was an era where you were like going super hard on that like healthy microbiotic yeah, shit. But, it was really annoying. <laughs> no, it was so hard. There were other eras too. I was about to say. <laughs> then, then I turned 40. Ladies and gentlemen. So much quinoa. So quinoa. much quinoa. Oh, quinoa. So nah. much of it. Yeah, I wasn't there for that. Kale. Quinoa. <laughs> Remember that South Street Diner era quinoa. though? I was there for the mac and cheese Broth. era. <laughs> How many? There's a lot of broth. How many so so much broth, bone marrow, with their marrow. Yeah, I never knew. Yeah. Any Captain Crunch era? Anyone Snickers era? Yeah. I, I remember no, Captain Crunch era. Do you remember yeah, yeah. this? It was really hardcore. Uh, okay. And, and you were being really like kind of obnoxious Who about it. Who is this it. person? Really? Like when, telling when, me when about like superfoods and shit. I have a passion. Like literally calling me up like superfoods are. Nigga spells me superfood. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of everybody, Questlove Supreme, my name is Questlove. This is Bandora. Good night. West Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus